0: Sins of fathers, everybody. Sins of fathers. Buy it anyway. Bless sorry. you.
1: Instruct the mind from the heart that you have a that you
0: have a value, that you're worthy, mm-hmm. top of the league, premier criminals. If you have a lack of purpose, you will you will divert from what you're meant to be doing. Absolutely. Which is, I miss you, Dad. How how many tons was it? For, well, they
1: say it was four and a half tons. Yeah. But I, but anyway, they're four and a half tonne. Yeah which is quite, you wouldn't want it falling on you. <laughs> so, um, you know, on a boat, <laughs> I think I told you we had it in cod and they called the old man the cod father, he didn't yeah. like that. <laughs> the, the dysfunction, the unease, the, the, the trauma of, of, you know, of the sex abuse. Mm. There's a proof of healing. Mm. We're all human beings and we all deserve love. Mm. And There's so much money out there, it's all ridiculous. Trust me, when I go up there, I will leave this place happy. Thought about escaping once because I had a chance. We're in this chapel, and they've all looked at him, and you could see what he's got. I think I've had nine lives, Mike. He ain't a bad looking boy, Michael, is you? I bet the birds like him and all, don't they? You got a fan club, Mike?
0: Uh, it's not something we can talk about on camera, but. Okay,
1: <laughs> that's why I believe in God. To do 33 stretch was a liberty.
0: Just one question I'll, I'll ask for the, for the recording at least. Um, How big will we meet those yeah. My yeah. <laughs> no, pleasure, sir. thank you so much. Cheers, bless you. bless you. Okay, our sponsor for this episode is SpaceMade. SpaceMade offer flexible workspaces throughout the UK and they currently have the following London locations. Queen's Park, The Strand, Fitzrovia, Swiss Cottage and London Fields as well as City Centre Leeds and City Centre Bristol. To find out more, do check out their website at www.spacemade.co. And finally, I would like to give a big thank you to the whole team there. I really am grateful for your support you've given us from day one, and it really won't be forgotten. If you are looking for a great space to work, guys, do check them out via the links in the description below. And for any direct inquiries, you can email them via info spacemade.co. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. So go on, go on, tell us quickly. Um, so that was the point, just maybe elaborate now that we've got the camera on, but what do you, what do you like really want from all of this? Like like now that, now that it's out, now that it's going well, what, what do you really want from all of it?
1: So the vision, it's the vision, yeah. So it may be, it may look like sort of celebrity style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I seem to fit the bill. I don't want to be a celebrity. It's not. I know what you it.
0: mean though. You, you, there is a certain yeah. character to you that fits the celebrity thing. I, I, I think so. Yeah.
1: But my story is not, just about a born again criminal mm. christian criminal hallelujah it's not about that what it's about, so i'll get to the vision because it's about my suffering and what I went through um, not because I went through the criminal life mm. I'm talking about the dysfunction the unease the 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 trauma of of you know of the sex abuse mm the you, they say that you, that that youth is wasted on the young yeah and
0: i love that phrase it's a great phrase because it's real because you, you don't you don't yes yeah, it's, it's basically saying you don't know what you're doing and uh, so you just float around in, in the midst of you know, you, but that's that's just the ir- that's thought. the irony of life isn't it absolutely but mm. isn't it
1: lovely the innocence of it mm. but
0: children are very very bright yeah
1: that's why I love my grandchildren so much.
0: Well, they're instinctive as well. They don't. They don't. They don't. They're not. They're not cognizant in a absolutely. in a negative way. They're Great just com- words. They're just completely, absolutely at the forefront of, of their of their of their living <laughs> self of their being.
1: Absolutely, and it's beautiful. Mm. So it's very important what you you sow into that. Mm. Uh, my ignorance, I didn't know with my own children because basically I wasn't very well. So my heart was always right because mm. I knew what was right for my kids. But I had this crazy mind. I didn't choose it. I didn't ask for it. It was mine. Mm. Um, And the dysfunction of uh, not being wired properly. So the confusion in the mind to the, the beauty of the heart, it was the yin and yang. It was the opposite. It was the...
0: It was the God and the Devil. It was the light and the dark. It's like we said last time. It's the it was the it's the duality of your brain itself, mm. which is. But but so you're saying like the the dysfunction. Why do why do you why do you start to talk about the dysfunction when you talk about the the, the bigger image or the bigger mission? Is that well, because you're trying to show the dysfunction and what can come out of it?
1: Yeah, there's a proof of healing, mm. Michael. Um, there's a proof of change. Mm. Um, and from my experience, the, the amount of time I've took to achieve that, I could help to make people's lives. Not because I'm anything special, but I know the shortcuts. Although shortcuts aren't great, but instead of going round the houses like the forty years in the desert, should have taken them for, for two or three weeks to achieve that in the desert. Mm. It took them forty years. I'm similar. Because it was hard for me to be obedient to life, obedient to love. Not obedience with a stick. Obedience can conjure up very many sort of different facets in one brain. Obedience, mm. obedience.
0: It's like, oh, obedience can be an ugly word or a beautiful well, it, it, it indicates submissive, submissive, uh, submissive, really. that's Which is not what it's about. You're actually not being submissive. You're not being subservient to your own life. You're actually doing the opposite. You're pushing Correct. out of it. Correct. Which is... Which is um, something we actually, we've talked about a lot with entrepreneurs, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, which, which is interesting. But but go on. So so obviously you're trying to show show I guess the light that comes out of, of the dysfunction. But what you, you mentioned before off camera about actually creating home. So what what is the the sort of tangible things you'd like to do?
1: Oh, okay. So that's great. So if we can do step by step, and we have got to be careful of the ego and the pride. It's not about look at me. It's about what is the vision. Mm. What does this mean? And we know that money's important, not the love of money, yeah? Mm. Mammon can be dangerous. You can't love money and love God, in my opinion, because they don't work. But God doesn't dislike money. And money is a tool? It's absolutely a mm. tool. So and it's it's what, a
0: vehicle to create things that matter, unfortunately. But or, it's, or fortunate, whatever it is. It's well, just, I think it it it's fortunate
1: it if, you put it, if, if, if you put the right aspect on money. Mm. Um, and, you know... You, you don't love money, um, but you respect it. Mm. And if we, I mean, money's caused wars, divorces, uh, killing. Money's caused so many evil things. Mm. But if you look at money the way it's, you know, in the Bible, it says give to give to the tax, tax man, what's the tax man, and give to God, what's for God, and, and use it wisely and be a steward with it. So to be a steward, it means to look after something. You steward something. So I would like to create something that's fun, something that people can enjoy, and something that people can say, hold on, I've got that dysfunction. Because it's not all like doom and gloom, because there's a lightness to it. Mm. But wherever you join the journey of Sins of Fathers, whether it's for fun, because it's a villain story, whether you join it because you have a faith, or whether you whether you uh, join it because you're struggling, yeah, we can deal with all of that. But the end product, the, the the vision, the Bible says, write it down and it will tarry. But believe it, believe it by faith that it will come to pass. So, and I don't want to get too biblical, but. Um, mm-hmm. So the vision is to create a book, a film, a documentary, or whatever we're doing, but to create platforms for the mental health, Mm. addiction, prisoners, working farms, children's holiday homes for inner city kids who are suffering at the hands of the perils of the addiction of the parents, and that's not to judge parents. Yeah. Mainly, you know, I'd love to open... Uh, or, or be part of opening up. This is my been my vision for a long time. I love it. Mm. Um, it gets better. Well, it changes as I as I get older. But to create a holiday home for inner city kids, mm. yeah, you take them on a holiday home. Whether it's been, I don't know, Devon's always been, or this, or down in France, and and they have a holiday away from the screaming noise away from the addictive parents and bless the addictive parents, away from the fatherless kid, the motherless kid, the the different races. There's no, sorry, you know, there's no race or colour in my, we're all human beings and we all deserve love mm. and action all love. So I'd love to create a home where they, they can go horse riding. They, they can have um they can learn sewing they they can learn the computer they can learn to swim or play football or be, or, or 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 react to kindness mm. and and i just would like to build a holiday home for them kids and then communicate with them after them afterwards with specialized people who who can communicate at christmas at birthdays you know, if they need school uniforms it, and just uh, uh, make them part of, of the community that we're trying to um, create. So,
0: so you're really thinking piece of land, holiday cabins, That's it. place for people to learn, work, whatever it is, and yeah. then find alternatives, maybe at, a, at childhood level so they don't go down the wrong track. Or Correct. And then on top of that, you you're talking before about... Uh, trying to help sort the me- uh, uh, men- people with mental health problems and prostitutes and ad- addicts. So is that another type of that sort of scenario? Essentially, yes. like like you said again, a, a building a piece of land where people where you can come, you can. I guess what it's about you directing the movement and, and the thought process, really, isn't it?
1: Well, I think the vision's the vision, mm. uh, and you've got to have experienced people to come alongside you. But that seems to happen if you're doing good. Yeah. So Agreed. it's about raising the funds. Yeah. Um, it's about me going out, sharing my my experience, strength, and hope. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that, for the prisoners, what I'd love for the prisoners mm-hmm. is I'd like to open farms where they come and leave prison.
0: Um, there's a community. Ah, uh, so that's what you meant by working farms. People people can work there, live there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: And spend a year or two, or or create a community where they learn to cultivate. You know, plant things and, and mm-hmm. uh, f- farm things and uh, and just to sort of get the value of you know God says I, I bless the works of your works of your hands, and and I think that gives them uh, self belief um, if they're insecure or or feel bad about themselves. You know, I think achievement for all of us as human beings makes us grow as a person.
0: Pur- purpose is everything
1: no absolutely and Pur- sometimes purpose
0: is, is is the if you have a lack of purpose you will you will divert from what you're meant to be doing absolutely which is so it's guidance Mike
1: mm. so that's for the prisoners the addicts I'd like to uh, 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 I might be going above my station here but I don't think I am um, it's places where people are coming out of prison or in recovery it's all peop places that are safe Michael mm. that, you know, my ad- addicts can come and uh, and spend six months there mm. in their recovery stage uh, and maybe do some work or or just get well, Mike. And another thing that touched me later on in life was when my father was in a, a home for the dementia. And he was blessed to be in the home he was in. There was a kindness there. But when I used to sit there, I thought, how could I improve this place?
0: Mm.
1: And... um so it was about funding. There's so much money out there. It's all ridiculous. People buying big boats and, you know, these big Russians, not knocking them, you know, giving 10, 50, 100 million pound of whatever they give for a boat. Can mm. you imagine if these care homes for dementia and, and it's a very it's a, a torrid illness, it's, it eats them away. And And I just thought, wouldn't it be nice to have, for me, nice Christian music in the back or soul-searching music because they respond to music, the dementia people.
0: Yes, they very much do. It's, it's quite fascinating. That. Yeah, I've seen amazing videos of this. I mean, you'll love this. I'll show you afterwards. But this ex uh, ballet dancer, she was this amazing ballet ballet dancer, but really suffered from dementia. And they 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 get they she was she's in a wheelchair, sadly. But they they um they gave her really intense headphones, and it it played Swan Lake or something like that. And you just saw her like completely come alive and start moving her arms and it like she was dancing. It was one of the best things I've ever seen. Absolutely. No, it's true. It's quite touching actually. When I used
1: to go down to my dad's home, once a month they used to have a fella come in and sing all the old songs, you know, maybe it's because I'm a Londoner. Mm. And because the age group sort of, they were war babies. So they used to play Vera and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And the fun that they used to have, and I've got it on video, loads of them. And I used to look around the room and they and, and they can't even remember their names, some of them. And they would start singing, get up and dance. And I thought, could you imagine if this setting? And they had done very well in the the care home of my father's down in Raygate. They were beautiful, mm. but you've got to have some sort of patience and love. It, it's a job you're called to. It's not. It's not a job you apply for, because.
0: The that's, acro- that's a good way to put it. Actually, yeah, I do. I do think carers is. It's so selfless, it's amazing.
1: They're amazing people. Mm. So, and I just don't want to harp on the Christian stuff and things like that, because there's lots of beautiful people out there. But for me, it would be, you don't have to have a Christian care home, but I would like to have that godly ambience, not religion, not like, let's all pray and it's all holier than now. But I just think that the sense of peace and love Mm. that comes out of faith-believing people. Listen, not not all faith-believing people are terrific, but some of them are. Or just nice people who do that job. And I just think that they... I, I would make their life easier, the staff. Yeah, I would make it worth their while. And, and then it doesn't become about how much it costs. It becomes about how blessed we are to do it. Mm. And if you look at it like that, I think the sort of financial funds for those things, it drops out the sky. So, so that's the vision, Mike. Mm. Um, so the care homes, and I'm not saying let's turn it into a church. I'm just saying the- um,
0: You really want to create facilities that help people when it comes down to it but you very like right. to put your own stamp on it is,
1: is i point. think so but yeah. not stamp it but and,
0: and obviously that's the point about using all of this as a platform very to much raise so. money and probably yeah. make your own money and so on and so forth
1: absolutely and make my own money i'm not doing yep. everything for the goodness of uh so so and also the last thing of the vision is this so you've read the book and you know it's about
0: Sins of fathers, everybody. Sins of fathers, buy it. Anyway, Bless, so, you. Sorry, Bless you. Sorry, it's, it's all bro. right. I had to do that at one point. <laughs> That's great. Um, so, so the final part of the vision is what you say.
1: So the sins of the fathers mm. is a forefather problem that I've had with my grandfather and my dad. I wouldn't say they was the problem. I would say that the... I don't want to get into it too deeply, but they say <laughs> Thanks, the ancestral mate. sin... Yeah, so, God, I needed that. I felt, yeah. like, I felt like I had a, a, a percolated coffee in my mouth. <laughs>
0: Thanks, Keith, appreciate that.
1: So, <laughs> the sin of the forefathers yeah. is a hand-me-down trait. Name it what you like. You ain't got to call it the sins of the forefathers. Name it what you like.
0: Yeah, I remember you touching on this when we were walking down Portobello. Yeah, yeah. You do think it's genuinely very inherent. It's not...
1: Yeah, because I've had I've had proof that it is. Mm. Otherwise, I wouldn't be shouting from the rooftops. If I'd just read it and went, oh, yeah, maybe. You know, d- 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 people call it DNA, hand-me-down mm. behavior, or whatever they call it. It doesn't matter what you call it. I just have evidence. Mm. So I speak from evidence, not from knowledge of someone else. So what the vision for me would be, the dynasty, would be that my grandchildren's children, benefit that quite I get emotional when I think about it I never ever want any of them to have to go into a prison and be sentenced I never want to see one of them on drugs I want to be able to and they've got their parents to guide them so I'm not taking over here Mm. but if I get the spirit right let's just say because I think things can be broken Yeah, the uh, narrative can change. So if you create a space for, let's say, what I would like to do, for my children's children's children, that it's their nature to wake up Christmas morning and go to a homeless shelter and feed the homeless. Mm. I'm not saying they can't have nice lives and, and go skiing or ride horses or, or visit beautiful countries or have a nice home. This is not about being a do-gooder, right? This is about expressing the love that life has shown us because I never ever want them to feel what I felt. I'm a miracle that I can sit and talk to you. I said that before. Mm. I had no concentration level. I will not well at all, but because I looked the part and sounded the part, a little bit like I am now,
0: but inside of me right at this moment,
1: I feel okay.
0: Whereas before... I used you, you don't to, want any family or people in general to have that deep dissatisfaction and confusion that you have? No, not at all.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the key for me. So that's my... I wouldn't call it a fight because it doesn't... that That puts a different sort of edge to it it's uh, I would call it a love mm. I would call it an action I would call it a verb to do and, and if I can do that trust me when I go up there I will leave this place happy so I'm now it, it was funny I was, uh, I was sitting talking to my my ex-wife today beautiful Tracy the rock of ages as they call her incredible lady I wish I'd have known about what I know about today. I wish I'd have known earlier. But I said to her, "Do you know what it feels like, Trace? It feels like that the old life is gone, and I'm using the old life to manifest a new life. So if I have to leave people behind, it feels
0: like it's not an issue to shrug it off. No, no. Uh, because does it? Even, does it even feel like you when you look back? Is, yeah, it it, is it? It does. You do. It does sit with you. It doesn't feel so far gone that. It's almost like not not you,
1: being a criminal wasn't me mm. that was my mind that was the that was the impression of the the counterfeit story that I was introduced, yeah,
0: but the chaos was you
1: the chaos the chaos came to me mm. and I created more chaos and more chaos and more chaos because that's what my mind done i 'm not saying it wasn't my responsibility, but i didn't have the mind of um uh, 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 let's, let's think of S- Nicky Gumble, mm. who, who runs the Alpha course At the church I go to Holy Trinity Brompton And I'm not saying his mind's perfect But, but I think he's got a wonderful mind Because mm. yeah, he's used his mind For the right reasons I think the mind As we said in the past Is for practical Well mine wasn't The practical mind I had Was have sex with women Sorry women Because I love you Tell lies because mm. I wanted to get away with crime. You know, it, it, and it affects your being. So, the, the mindset for me today, which is changing for me, and now I can work from my heart and my spirit and my soul. This is something that I think has been my destiny. Yep. So
0: it was, it was in there for a long time. Do you? Do you? Um. I think that the battle inside your mind was obviously very tough and I think people battle every day and I think people don't understand that that is a constant battle people think they can just flush it out no, you can't. and and I mean I just wondered if you could elaborate on that like what what if you could give any advice to someone who's really <laughs> battling me. for me I always say just understand that it's it's never. It's never as such going away, but the beauty of it is is once once you enjoy yourself it it has a certain release and you have this internal feeling that's that's beautiful. I just wondered if there's any advice about my point being is you you know you told us a story which we won't mention today where you, you the old Michael could have come out, but you reminded yourself mm. is there any other advice you'd give on that point about that internal battle
1: so um so I think if I revert to the Bible. Yeah, and this is not a biblical lesson because it's up to you what you do. Mm. But the Bible says in Romans, and I've used this a lot, and it's in Romans twelve two, and it says, if you read my word, I will transform your mind according to my will. So let's take that out of the Bible. Mm. So what that's saying is, if you use your mind for the correct things i.e. study, i.e. whatever you use your mind for. My mind was used for how many drugs I can have, you know, sitting there with the horrors, you know, thinking about, does he like me or not? And the brain is such a beautiful thing if it's looked after. When it becomes sort of dysfunctional, any word you want to use, it then just floods you with sort of, Behaviors and words, and and then you be, start to dislike yourself. And I think to build one's confidence up, mm. um, and confidence not to be brash or arrogant. But my advice is use your mind for what God give you know what God gave it to us for. And I think it's to learn. And I think if we start to learn and use it for what it's meant to be. I think it starts to change, but there's not only that that changes. I think to clear the mind to meditate, to pray um, and, and and to instruct the mind from the heart that you have a that you have a value that you're worthy mm-hmm. that you and so let your heart sort of be who you are. and I think when we speak from our hearts which is love, it sort of activates the brain. I think the brain, when you start giving yourself maybe a pat on the back or or, or embrace, be kind to yourself, I think the brain really activates. Yeah. It thinks, God, I ain't got to keep thinking about oh, look at that pretty bird's ass, or oh, look at that or look at this and how much money has he got? Because it's a story that's going on in your head that you've created because you don't believe in yourself. Sorry about your mic. Don't, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I don't want to break them. They look quite <laughs>
0: expensive. Do Do you think uh, the core of all addiction, bad behaviour, is 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 insecurity at the heart of it? Um, I think
1: it's part of it, Mike, but it's not only insecurity. Um, I think. What do I think about addiction? I think it's fear based. What do you mean? Lack of faith. So
0: Lack of faith in oneself, beyond anything else.
1: Uh, I don't know if it's oneself. I think faith to believe something is good's going to come.
0: Right, okay.
1: So, you know, people call it positive thinking, that, that, that man that Eckhart tolly is. His yeah, Eckhart Tolle, yeah, yeah. So I've listened to him, and I think he's incredible. I, I, I would uh, give that a right G, I would. I, I would say people should look at that. Mm. Um, whether you believe in it or not, I think he stimulates the brain not to activate the heart. So addiction for me is powerful. If we get addiction and love it and generate it into the right areas, we we can be very special because it's a drive. But if we allow it to take over by being fearful about everything, yeah? Even about a conversation... Even about, what does he think about me? I mean, am I good enough? It just creates fear. Because if, if you don't think you're good enough, you, you're fearful. Mm. Anyway, so I think it's fear-based. And it's a very special thing, addiction. Like I just said, you can really use it to benefit rather than destroy you. I think addicts are really strong people. I really do. Because what we have to go through is incredible. How I can sit here and talk to you and be alive is amazing. Mm. So I think it's fear based Um, and I think fear because we want to combat fear and we don't know how to we pick up behaviours like control lust greed and they're all figments of your imagination and they've come from the pit of the fear. Mm. That's how I think.
0: No, I'm with you in many ways. I think the control one the the desperate need to in control is very dangerous but at the same time you have to understand that everything is within your own grasp on the flip side when you you talk talk about fear control outwardly to try and control other people is dangerous but understanding you have control of yourself and you have that true it is within your own grasp to control and and because some people i think when they're addicts they think it's they think it's out their control they think it's just who they are and i think that's yeah that's true that's a fascinating Again, duality. It's like, do you, do you believe in the 12-step programme? Is it Yeah, the very much so. Well, I think well, it's a great programme. Is that, is that what helps you a lot?
1: It has helped me, Mike. I mean, I think if you go through the 12-step programme in the... I think it's been very clever the way it's, it's been uh, sort of wrote and given because it, it has stages. And the first stage is surrender. We think surrender's weak. Mm. But surrender's strong, so we res- we we surrender and hand something over, and then we do a an infantry on ourselves for people we've harmed, and we make an amends. So that's clearing the debris. Sorry's a chuck away word.
0: I think sorry's an action. Yeah, I always that's the one that I always wonder about. You know, uh, you have to clear clear the you know qualms or whatever you want to call it with everyone. Surely, to some extent, you have to accept. Accept your mistakes, and not you could, like I know some people literally don't, like write lists of hundreds of people and call them all up and say i'm so sorry like, i don't see that I think that's too self deprecating i don 't see that as an advancement forward well, I think it helps if you 've done it mm. i, I haven 't been there I just yeah. that, to me that seems like the one where i 'm like well, well it 's not only
1: that yeah you know when you say you know when you make an amends to someone, they may have hurt you as well, mm. and you're expecting them to say. You want them to make an amends to you. And sometimes they don't. Yeah. But I think once you verbalize it, it seems to take it away. You, you've put it out there. But a real amends is when you change. So if I made an amends to you because I stole your wallet, yeah. So, and I said, listen, Mike, I nicked your money. It was me who stole your wallet. Can you forgive me? Mm. And you might struggle with that. But my amends, to me, is that I've said sorry, but I don't do it again. That's where the amends takes power. When you've said sorry, and I stop stealing your wallet or, or, or Sammy Boy's wallet, I've made an amends to myself. So what that does, it makes me feel better about myself. I know a little story with a fella, yeah? Mm. And this, is a, this will explain it a lot better than I can explain it, maybe. So he moved into this house... Um, and he was getting clean off of heroin. Yeah, it was a story told to me in a meeting, and they say you know don't share it. But it was ten years ago, or maybe longer. So he moved into this place, his halfway house, and right across his, from where his room was, there was a disabled man. There, yeah, who he got on really well with, and they become friends. So the disabled man used to say, "Can you go and get my shopping?" He said, "Yeah, of course." So he'd go and get the geezer's, uh, this guy's um, geezer, go and get this fella's sort of money off him or go and get his pension out or his disability allowance. And he'd go to the shop. And the geezer used to say, yeah, one want eggs, bacon, tomatoes or whatever, he used to buy his his coffee, cigarettes, whatever. And, it, and, it, and he used to take it back to him and he was really cool. And he really started to like himself. Yeah? Then he relapsed. Yeah. And what took over wasn't the kindness of the man or the mm-hmm. kindness of the relationship or or the or let me help. What kicked him was I need that man's money for my heroin. Yeah. So he never took it all, but instead of spending, say it's hundred quid, instead of spending the man's shopping or on whatever, he would go out, buy his heroin, steal the man's food in Tesco's or wherever he used to steal it from. Sometimes it'd be oh he didn't have that, but I've kept the money and I'll get it for you tomorrow. It mm. was started to lie to the man, he was deceitful. The man died. Sorry, he left the house and he stole the man's money. Yeah. When he got clean again, he went back to make his amends to the guy. He got clean again. But the guy had died. Mm. Yeah. So he couldn't make the amends. So what he done, he gave himself to a project where like-minded people, that man's condition, whatever it was, disabilities, he went to work for a charity, I think, for a number of months. And he then supported the charity financially. Mm. And for him, that was making his amends. So that's meaningful. He didn't have to do it. It, No one knew that he'd stolen that fella's money. So it's not a cop-out on amends. It's quite powerful. But it's maintaining the value of sorry by action. So to so, so like I say, if I stole your wallet and said, my I'm really sorry. And then I flew downstairs and there was a wallet downstairs and I nicked it. That means to you, it's just shit. Mm. So it's about self-preservation. It's about starting to love oneself. Not, oh, I look good, i got a nice suit on. That's not loving oneself. It's about maintaining the blessing uh, that we've been given as a gift from God. Human do, beings. Do you um
0: Do you drink Do I do, dance? Do you dance? Do you, dance? <laughs> do you de- I bet you do dance, first of all. I would a bad dancer yeah. actually. <laughs> I bet you do drink ever. No. Have you uh, when's, when's the last time you had a drink? This May, twenty-two years ago. Really? Yeah. Is it still a battle? No, not, not, you, you, not you, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't have a craving for anything. No,
1: it? I couldn't even be bothered. One day I was out with a girl It was dishonest and, uh, I was at a table in a very small Thai restaurant mm. and there was, um, they was drinking, uh, white wine and so, or whatever they were drinking, uh, and Perrier or something like that. But I, I was drinking Perrier and, and I was sitting with this girl and accidentally mm. I picked up her glass like that. I think it was mine. Mm. I took a sip like that, and uh, excuse me, my throat's a bit sticky, and it was um, it was the white wine. But where I had the glass to my mouth, and I realised what, what I'd done cheekily, I finished half of it and put <laughs> it down. And I went, "Oh my god!" So that was about twelve years ago. Okay. So it wasn't a relapse, but I must admit, the sensation of of the of the warmth. For the to the chest, I mm. thought, oh, I'd say, listen, I've drunk a bit of your wine. But for me, I too. I mean, I've I've had another drink. I mean, at my wedding, I I I got a mate of mine to go out to South of France. I had a really sort of uh, ex criminals' wedding. It was it was superb. Mm. So. Um, <laughs> It was, it, if, you, if the devil... I, I wish I was there. If the devil could... I'll show you some photos. Yeah. So I, I got married because I'd already been married and I had to, you know, Mickey's getting married. Because you, mar- you got married in prison, didn't you? Yeah, so Daniela, yeah. beautiful Daniela, mm. the the angel of my life. She wasn't the only one, girls, but there was something, there was always been something special about women and Daniela had a, a quality that I will never forget mm. and it's and It's beautiful. I, I respect the input she put into my life was beautiful. But my wedding was, um, excuse me, I'd already been married so I had to only have the blessing. I, I wasn't allowed to, so the church I was involved with, they said, look, go to Chelsea registry office and um, huh, bless you, Tracy. And we we're allowed the wedding to take place at Holy Trinity Brompton but without the registrar in the corner. Do that, and you can have a full-blown wedding. Got about two or 300 people turned up. You know, we were sort of popular, and, uh, and, and there was a Christian guy there. I'll tell you his name. He's a very special man. was uh, a guy called Nigel Skeltsy, mm. and he was the pictures editor of the, um, of the Sunday Telegraph. But in that wedding, there was three people. Sorry, there was two professional photographers. I didn't ask them to do this. They took it on their own back, but neither one of them knew they was doing it. And they presented me with a photo album. To, I mean, you're talking about proper. One of them is, is, um, is uh, Jack, who, 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 who films all the films. Um, you know, he worked with Ray Winston, He worked with all that sort of... Um, what was that wonderful film? Uh, Neil by Mouth. With Ray Winston, Jamie for, it was about an addict. Like, if you haven't seen Neil by Mouth. I don't think I have. To. Oh, you've got to watch Neil by Mouth. Yeah, yeah. So he was on that set. You know, I don't want to name drop, but Jack's a lovely boy. Uh, he you know, he, he works with, you know, a number of stars, um, Gary Oldman and all that, and he, and he and he and he and he takes superb photographs. You know that Ray Winston thing on my in my front room? Yes and the the two yeah, yeah, on the wall yeah, yeah. with uh, uh Eric Clapton and the drummer out of uh, rolling Stones, so that's the sort of stuff he does. Okay, and a mate of mine employed him for that day to take wedding photographs. He took them all in black and white. They were first class. Nigel Skelsey from the, um, all right, Nigel, from the uh, Sunday Telegraph, he done it as well. So I had st- amazing photographs. We the, the flax. I was in the flower industry. The guy I worked with in Holland, and I wasn't smuggling drugs with him. Um. The old bills thought I was when I went in the flower game. I'd found out five flower shops in London, buying a, 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 a twenty or thirty grams worth of flowers. They was convinced I was using it for drug runs, and I word I used to. I, I, they started to follow me. I found it quite amusing, actually. I really did. They was following the vehicles about, and it was it, it, it was flowers. So the the guy I used to work with, a guy called uh, Case, when I was getting married, he he sent over about. Seven grand's worth of flowers, which is quite a lot of flowers. And there was only four or five different flowers that my wife, my ex-wife Tracy had ordered, you know, Grand Prix roses. And there was all sorts of flowers that they had and and he never charged me for it. So the flowers that I had at my wedding, it was like a royal wedding. And you remember, I had five or six flower shops. I used to employ about 20 girls and I had the best girls in London. So the flowers, it was like a... It was like unbelievable, the flowers. I mean, I'll show you some photographs. I'm not showing off, it's just my truth. So the wedding was set, you know. Then we went to the Conrad Hotel in Chelsea Harbour. Um, Arsenal football team turned up there. So there was a few celebrities there. Did you mentioned this in the book? I think I might have done that. Yeah, yeah.
0: Because yeah. th- this was... Were you, were you still in prison at this point? No, no that was, was Tracy's... That, that was 40, Tracy's... 40th birthday. Right, I see. Yeah. Because... Well, well, I mean, I think people would be fascinated the fact that when you're edging out of prison it's almost like a hotel right you you ain't really like na- an hotel. in this, in the sorry that's a terrible way to put it actually you're totally right what i mean is uh you're allowed to go out every day
1: you're allowed to go to work, yeah, and you should i mean look whatever goes on goes on you know, mm. and i don't a lot of people go to work yeah, and whatever people do they do, but you're all whatever, but what it is about going out to work and going back to prison of a night time, it's probably harder bird, that means prison sentences, than when you're locked up. Because when you're locked up, you know what you're doing from the moment you open your eyes to the moment you go to sleep. So you you, you learn a routine. So your day ends at 8 or 9 o'clock. You mm. want to be asleep by 9, 10 o'clock. Excuse me. Excuse me. So And you do your bird by seasons when you're doing a long time. Um, and I listen I didn't do all the prison centers a lot of people done a lot more than me but I was very blessed to get out after nearly just under five years I think it was I've done about six years in prison in all mm. um but uh you know I could have been away for 10 or 12 years easy and um so you get used to it a guy said to me who'd been in prison for a long time he went to me the first 18 months is the hardest and he was right because you've got the street the love the children, they're all here. And as you walk in, you change your suit, really. You change your. We're creatures of habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So without us knowing it, this is why the brain's incredible. Yeah. The brain will activate what's going on around it. I mean, it's amazing, the brain.
0: It's adaptable.
1: Very much so. Yeah. That's why I think we should really look after it. So after 18 months in the nick, you start to realise that the only responsibility you've got maybe
0: is to turn your light off at the night time or to... Because everything's done for you. Well, so, so when you are doing that bit where you, you go to work every day, come back... It's hard. It's really hard, yeah. Well, because you
1: get up, you can't wait to go out to work.
0: Then you're out on the streets
1: working. And then all of a sudden, all of your mates are going out for dinner or they're going home to your families or what they're doing. And you're going back... Although you're going back to sleep, it's still that... Oh, And I think... For a little while, it's not bad. But my prison sentence for me, like I say, people have done a lot more, people I know. You know, I've... um, I want to talk about someone I know, actually, who who I never put in the book. He's a family member of mine. And he's... uh, I'd like to mention that later. Remind me to. No problem. So... um, yeah so you go back and and you think to yourself oh and the days seem longer the time seems longer and you feel like you're home but you're not and then you have to go back to a routine where people tell you get in there do i mean they're not so bad in the open nick but you're still being told what to do or not even being told you, the suggestions are you follow the rules and us Prisoners, we, I think we don't make life easy for the prison officers. Not because, you know, people might hate them and there's a war. But, you know, you, you don't want to make their life easy for them. And there's levels of that. You know, you can play up. To, I used to always play up to them. So I know some funny stuff, uh, some hilarious stuff. that um There's comical, and I'd like to share it, but I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but... The the shenanigans were were cool, you know. They was harmful. They they, they wasn't nasty, but they were good. But it, yeah, it's difficult when you've been out and go back to work because if you do that for a year, it seems like two years. You think you're home, you know. Because
0: not. it's a taste of freedom, but it's not. It's not real freedom, is it? No,
1: it's not real freedom. So yeah. that for me, that prison sent that bit of the bird was harder than being what
0: than the, than the actual general sentence. Mm. So, what, what was it like uh, sharing, a cell, uh, sharing a cell with your dad? Well, because I, I, I always wonder about it, because I know you clashed naturally, didn't you? So, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So, um, I was 30, I was born in 1958. So, when I was nicked in 93, how old am I? 35? Yeah, yeah, 35. yeah. 35. My dad was born in 1930. I think he was 63, 64, something mm. like that. No, he'd have been. Old. No, how old was bright. Uh He was born in 31, 93. What's the sum, Mike? Seems sharp, son. Yeah, uh, be about yeah. Be six
0: sixty four. Uh sixty two. So he's sixty
1: two. I'm yeah. thirty
0: four. Yeah, he's sixty two. Um, Is that right? You said ninety three, and he was born in in thirty one. Yeah. No, seventy two. No, oh, no, no, sorry 62, yes, 62. Sorry. yeah. 62, he's my yeah. age. <laughs> Keep that off camera, how bad that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If he
1: was alive, he wouldn't like it. Yeah. He was, so, si- he was 62, okay. Fine. So he's 62. Yeah. Now he'd done six years, so he come out when he was 68. Yeah. And I think they're really important years, but listen, you can't do the time, don't do the crime. Mm. And my dad was very lucky. You know, my dad was staunch, he kept his mouth shut. Um, and I think the disappointment from my dad that he got cool he reigned for years. And he was targeted in the in the eighties and nineties. But I think the way he went to work, they found it very hard to arrest him and he's co-defendant. It's a lovely guy. God rest your soul, both of you, Joe Park. And um and they was what you feel villains were, you know, they they weren't nasty, they never hurt people. But it was war. You know, so what if you was in the fraternity it was it was war. If if you'd done anything wrong, you couldn't go to the police, you know. And it it, it went with the turf. But so my dad had that sort of uh, military attitude to crime. He was he was organised and mm. disciplined. You had to be. I weren't. I was cavalier. But I was as game as a or so I didn't care. And so when we walked into the prison cell. He was very disappointed, obviously. One, we'd lost the money. And two, Exeter. Uh, <laughs> we, we was very fortunate because we should have been cat-A prisoners on the book. So when we got taken to court, there was armed cops. A lot of them. Very intense it was. It was When they moved us, it was like moving the IRA. Bulletproof vests on them. It was all nonsense, to be honest with you. But, yeah he got a buzz out of it but i think it was from the connections abroad what Mm. brought the intensity of the of of the of of the moving us about because there was 14 of us we was going to bristol me and the four principal organizers and bristol was going to bristol to be on the book catty prisoners um which ain't a bad way to do your bird actually but You know, I'm a life and soul of a party. I didn't want to be like that. But it was out of my hands. And it was funny because the the vicar who became my friend, Bill Burwood, he retired from the prison service a little while ago. And I went went to a dinner and I sat next to him. And he went to me, Michael, I don't know how you stayed in exit of prison. He said, you was going
0: escorted armed to Bristol. How you never went there? So exit is what cat B. Cat B. Cat B, right? Which which means what?
1: Well, it's just down from cat A. Mm. So, but I mean, it's secure. It ain't like it's just not
0: as as intense as no. Yeah,
1: you're allowed to wear sort of. Yeah, it, 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 there is a difference, but I wouldn't say it's a big difference. But there's a difference, and. Um, I think the A prisons, there's more respect between the prison officers and the prison because I think they respect that these people are dangerous and they're doing their bird. And, you know, so your job is to lock them up and just secure, make sure they're secure. Mm. Um, and there's dangerous people in the A systems. You know, you, you, they, they, they're what you call hardened criminals. But so me and dad, we had a touch. And we, the first night we went in the cell, there's 17 of us. And I'd just come back from Marbella, I was all lovely and brown, I was all dressed up nice. It wasn't the intention to be in, in Exeter prison. Mm. And it was very old, it was a Victorian uh, prison, but really old prison it was. And um, suicide blue color, it was painted. And uh, and I think it was a retiring post for, so the, so the prison officers were quite all right. They, they Listen, they had a few years to go, they didn't want any egg. And I think, when you go to a prison like that, and I'm not saying I'm a celebrity, but they think you are. You know, it's on the news or on the TV. It's, it was the biggest importation of cannabis at the time. I think it's been beaten now. And, um, how, how many tons was it? For, well, they say it was four and a half tons. Yeah. But, I, but anyway, they're four and a half tonne, yeah. which is quite... You wouldn't want it falling on you. <laughs> so, um, you know, on a boat... <laughs> I think I told you we eat it in cod and they called the old man the cod father. He didn't yeah. like that. <laughs> bit fishy. So we walk into this cell and it was a remand cell where they, they're in and out, in and out, in and out. So it wasn't in the best condition. You know, there was sort of bogies on the wall. Um, whatever it was, they tried their best. So we walk in and you've got to remember we, we had nice beds at home and we're walking into this sort of, it's like going in a plunge pool. And these beds are awful. But you can't be choosy. And the mattresses are about as, as as thick as that table. You get one pillar and a very itchy green blanket and, and white sheets that have been so washed. And it's like starching them. You feel like you're putting a starch shirt on. And they're not long, the beds. My feet used to stick out the end. So we walk in there, me and the old man, and there's 17 of us. So we're all hustling to get cells. That's where I met Ian. And um, we go in this cell, and we're right by opposite the recess. And the recesses don't smell too nice, Mike. <laughs> it's where everyone sings their pony and their pee and, you know, vomit and all that. So there's no, there was no toilets in my, in, in where when I was, in the, on the remand Wing. So we walk in there. And because and they think we're villains, they're all coming up, bringing magazines and books. And do you want any tea bags? Which is nice. And they a the kid come up and give us a magazine about the great train robbers. And they was all my dad's friends. He didn't want to see that, you know, because we hadn't been sentenced, and they'd all done like Big Bird. And so the last thing he wanted to see was his mates. Who do, so he said, "Get rid of that effing magazine." I went all right. And he's making up his bed. He ain't spoke to me because I think he blames me. So, and he was only little, but you wouldn't want a right-hander off him. And um, he was little in height, not in, I you know, miss you, Dad. Anyway, all of a sudden, he's turned around and looked at me. He hadn't said two words to me. So he'd gone through the emotional thing that I was his son. And the door went bang. <gasps> the reality of it all, And there was no way out. There was no way out. Well, maybe, but it weren't. And um thought about escaping once because I had a chance. But that's another story. And um, he went, turn that radio on, and he was really being horrible to me. You know? so I thought I'd leave him. So I turned the radio on, and the song literally what come on was uh, Chris Rear, This is the Road to Hell. I'm <laughs> oh, serious, as I turned the radio on. <laughs> yeah, and he snapped. What have you effing done? I told you, you're nothing but a greedy arson. Mm. I told you to slow down. It was the addict in me. So that was the first night. And then we, you know, he was pretty slippery, the old man. He got a good job straight away. And, and being the cannabis smuggler he was, he'd never smoked cannabis. He'd it, it, it ate it once and, and it freaked him out and he wound up in hospital. <laughs> They thought he'd have an heart attack. But I, I turned him on to the... Well, no, I never. This is quite a funny story. So, there was an old boy on the landing who was Nick for 20 Key Puff. He used to wear a wig, this fella. And he'd come across um, from Portsmouth. And uh, he was Nick for, like, 20 a Puff. So he was an old hippie, you know. And... Um, He was about himself but he used to shuffle along the landing and he had one of the good jobs in the nick he used to work in the officer's mess and um (coughs) i knew he puffed (coughs) you get to know because i was puffing Mm. you get to know but i was holding you know it was I, i had what i wanted and i don't mean that arrogantly but i did so you know i was involved with all the drugs dealers in london so you get what you want not all of them but you know what i mean so um Cannabis wasn't a thing that I was worried I wasn't going to get. And you learn how to get it and do whatever you got to do. So all of a sudden, one afternoon, he's come in the cell, the old man. And he knew he used to be about in the afternoons. He'd slip about. So he's walked in the cell. And I'm a little bit dry from coffee. He was dry from cannabis. So you know you start... Yeah, you get the dry mouth, yeah. He's licking his lips. So I've looked at him. When we got anything to eat, he's making lunches. <laughs> so I've looked at him. Now that ain't too so old to have a puff at sixty-three, but yeah, when yeah. you've never used it before, it's a, it's yeah, it's late in the game, yeah. So I've looked at him and I went, I can't remember what I said, but we've established that he's stoned. So I freak out. He's going to me, "Don't worry, son. I feel brand new." So that was it. We we become cell. Partners in cannabis. We, we Had a puff
0: together. To every night. Yeah, yeah.
1: But he used to, he'd go, leave it to me, I, I. And the places he used to hide it was a lot better than I was. And he was so, and what he, where he used to hide it, and then he'd cut a bit off so we had enough for the night, or he loved the skunk weed.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, he loved it. And of an evening, he got into his heart, and then I used to get him really high, because I used cocaine in there a few times, and I had to get him stoned. And he used to have his glasses on, and in the end, where I'd load it up a little bit, it would be like that, He's and he'd go, oh, I'm all right. And then he'd start singing at the window Irish rebel songs. And the one I used to like, it wasn't an Irish rebel song, but I used to get him to sing it. And he used to be crying his eyes out. he if you if you ever go across the see to dear old island, he'd be crying, you know, whatever. So we got. We should get stoned together. One day he decides to get married. Yeah.
0: Oh, you. To, I think you told me this.
1: What with the crack?
0: Did, yeah, didn't you drug him? Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, did. I have you got <laughs> that? It's in the book. No, it's not. I'm sure it's in the book. I don't think it, it might be. I don't you, think it is. You got. You got a bit in the
1: book. Anyway, go on. So if, if I've told you, you've already got it. Yeah, yeah. But if I want, I, so yeah, I, I done him. He was getting married. <laughs> this and, is um, so funny. He's come. He's come out on his cell, and he went to me. Listen, on. And he, he so thought, Sorry, sorry. So just to, to clarify, if, if
0: we do use it. So your, your dad was getting married. Yeah. Yeah, So my dad's getting married, but to a psychiatric nurse. And I think it, obviously whilst whilst in prison. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Sorry, he's in prison, and he yeah. wants to get married. Yeah. yeah. He thought it'd help his parole. So. Um, bless your dad. So it's um. It's in. I forget. I don't remember what day it was. But he's, uh, he, all of a sudden, I've looked at him and he's got a pair of white, I've never seen these trousers before in my life. So he, she's bought them in with him. He's got a white pair of linen strides on. He never used to wear socks, my dad. He's got a, pair, a lovely pair of sandals on, like proper and lovely, give about 200, or whatever he's give. lovely sandals, like Gucci sandals or something. I've looked at him now. And he's got like this Vickers shirt on. It was olive green, but with a round neck but it was silk. And I can't remember what I said, but but I'd imagine I said, where are you going? You look like you're going down the beach in bay. He said, oh, I'm getting married. Don't you remember? So, okay. He said, do me a favour, or whatever he said. He said, roll me a little joint. And he's got into it. He's liking the feeling of it. So... I went, all right, whatever I said. So next door to me was two little armed robbers. They were lovely fellas. Little Mickey and Ronnie. Great guys. And I don't want to get them in trouble. It's a long time ago. But they'd they'd obviously been smoking a bit of crack. Yeah. So as I've run in their cell to roll him, and I used to roll him little, I mean, my mum would have killed me. I used to roll him little one joint, little one Skinner's. And he'd only have about six (laughs) pusses. And it would do him. So I knew how to sort of roll it. It wasn't a big old tobacco thing with you know roaches and it It was like a little roll-up. Anyway, as I've looked down, it's only the size of a match head, but it was, and I knew what it was. And I don't know what possessed me to do it. I've put it in the joint. It's me daddy's 64 and he's getting married. Crack and (laughs) skunk. I mean, terrible, right? It's a, it's a, it's a heavy mix.
0: <laughs> well,
1: I don't know if you've ever smoked it before. I, I know you haven't. You're a good boy, but I have. So I know that the high is a short-hit high. Uh, and it does leave you after a while if you don't feed it. If you don't have more, because it's such a morish drug. And is um, it all right to say this, on it? Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so he's gone... Uh, I have put it in the joint, give it to him. Mickey's gone, you haven't put that in that joint, have Because they can smell it. And I think, what have I done? As he's put it down, they shout out, Emmett Chapel. He's getting married. He's, he's, his wife's a bee's in there. The chaplain.
0: Who's a psychi- psychiatric nurse.
1: Yeah, Roisin. <laughs> she was a tough one. Irish lady. Bless you, Roshin. And um, they've called his name. So I've looked at him. <laughs> he can't talk. He can't talk. He, <laughs> he, his tongue is shrunk. Go mouth. And what happens? His silk shirt is like he's dived in a swimming pool. <laughs> he's sweating. And he went, What have you to me? <laughs> I can't believe it I mean he
0: I've
1: walked him along the landing he's got the jaw Mickey's gone my god what have you done to him and the, the chapel from our cell is not too far away it, it, if it was 10 yards it was a long way and I thought no I got. I don't know what to do but I've always fought on my feet so i get in the room and I'm not proud of this but here's a funny story i will take him into the chapel, there's the chaplain there, and I'm he would he would be upset with me, the chaplain. The governor and his wife. And on the table is some drink, like a, he'd never had cocaine in his life before, especially not crack. Mm. There was a big jug of orange, a teapot with, with kettle and coffee and tea, and loads of cakes and biscuits. And there was a rock cake on there. And that's important to the story. So as I walk him in, we're in this chapel, and they've all looked at him, and you could see it was gone. <laughs> so the governor said, you all right, Brian, or whatever? I said, no, he's quite nervous. <laughs> I said, because he's getting married. And Rosheen went, what do you mean he's nervous? This is his fourth time. Brian. <laughs> He was married four times. So I've looked at him, he's in it, and he's staring at me with his mad eyes. (laughs) So I see the rock cake. And I've been stoned out of my, and I'm not proud to say this, but there's always a moment when you flip out of your paranoia. Something can happen and you get straight, straight away. Mm. You know, drugs ain't a great, I'm not advocating drugs here. At all. Because they've been very dangerous for me. Uh, and I wouldn't like any of my children using crack, so forgive me. So I see the rock cake. I pick the rock, and he <laughs> in his mouth. So I've got his oot and went wallop. I whack the rock cake in his mouth, and as God would have it, as luck would have it, Is he, have you ever got he started chewing his rock cake, and falling out yeah, of his cry. mouth. But he managed to get no, through it. Whatever. He drank a black so orange juice so in him. And within minutes, we snapped he, out of it, he yeah. come round. Yeah, thank the good Lord. <laughs> and he went to me.
0: You wait.
1: <laughs> and we and we styled it out.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. We
1: styled it out. You can't. Did mate, he whack Did he whack you? No, he, he couldn't do that anymore. But yeah. it was our being in the cell with him for two years. I was in the cell with him, and we um, we had our moments. We had our fallout, especially over money. Over there was a chance that maybe he could get out of it, maybe I could get out of it. And it was a push-pull situation because straight away, my, my gallant heart said, listen, I'll get you out of this because you're 63. And then his gallant heart went, no, you've got three children, I'll get you out of it. So there was that going on, and then we both changed our minds. At times we hated each other, never stopped loving each other. A couple of times I had a couple of fights in there, and he's 64 years of age, and he'd turn up and want to fight. I'd say, what are you doing, Dad? I can look after. One day, I'll tell you a funny story with yeah, him, if you've got time. Yeah, go ahead. All of a sudden, I used to run a football. I mean, look, that was a, a, a sad, sick moment in the Nick. But there was a spiritual moment, there was a charity moment. We used to, we got Jimmy White or, or Ray Reardon to come down and play snooker. Um, we got Samantha Fox to come in and present all the disabled kids with gear. And then I run a competition, a football competition, which was great. So I should get everyone out of the wings. I presented medals and trophies. I was always at it. There was always something going on. Uh, we had some fun. We had some fun, and we really did have some fun. Honestly, the thing, but nothing was bad. You know, it's probably the baddest story. I, what I've just told you about the um, about the about the crack. Yeah, and it wasn't. Listen, it was a pinhead. It wasn't like we were smoking it for three hours or two days. So we had the football anyway. There's a key going there. And it upsets me because his name was Paddy. Because my grandson is Paddy, and I love my Paddy. And he was Scottish, this geezer. And he was the size of, he looked a little bit like Norman Wisdom, but he had muscles on him like, oh, no, he was. And he was really aggressive. And I'd sort of got into the faith after that. And I used to take a few Christians over with me, and he was quite, he used to ridicule them, and they used to get a bit frightened of him. So I used to go around with the, with the prison officer and get them all out for the football. After, after tea at six o'clock and going over to the gym for two hours of an evening, it, it, it was like winning the pools. So he used to all wait at the door and we had four teams. Ian had a team, I had a team, the YPs had a team and a mate of ours, John, had a team. And it was the blues, the reds, the yellows and the greens. And we used to have interleagues. It was brilliant, it was. And I let it go on for months. Presented the trophies. Anyway, because Paddy had been nasty to this geezer, He's called Wayne. I dropped him out. So as I've gone past his door, he's waiting there with his kit behind his door, and the, the prison officer's got, I said, no, not him this week, and he's heard me. So he went, yeah, right, right. Well, I can't remember what he said. I must have said, I can't so I saying, and carried on walking. The following day, his cell was up on the threes, and I was on the twos, and his cell looked right over my cell. <coughs> and there's a, there's a kid in that book called Bryn, Beautiful man, who, who I hurt. He was my friend. I loved that boy, sadly. And um, he, um, yeah. So there was a guy who knew Brynn in there, and he was in the corner when Tony Ben, uh, not Tony Ben. Um, what's his name? The fighter, Ben uh, Nigel Ben. <laughs> Nigel Ben. Yeah. Won the tr- won the title. Yeah. And he was he was a he was a he was this lovely sort of kid. And he was built like a, he was a big boy. And he, so Bryn said, look after him. So he came come and he used to, everywhere I looked, he was there. And he was a monster, this geezer. I'm with you, I know Bryn and all that. And he's in my cell having a cup of tea. So Paddy comes out of his cell. And as I walk across the landing to get the water, Paddy puts it on me about the football. So I didn't say anything. I just said, all right, Paddy, I'll see you later. As I walk back into my cell, this guy Steve said, You can't stand for that. He was from Liverpool, this guy. You can't stand for that. You gotta belt him. Now he was right. It's prison rules and regulations. You can't be humiliated. So I said, Steve, it's all right. I'll give him a poll when he's on his own. I, I'll do it quietly. Now you've got to do it now. And he's got me out of it. So as I walk out onto the landing, there's all these boys from Plymouth there. And Paddy's there. So I say to him, I can't remember what I say. I, In the recess, Paddy, we'll have a fight. So there's an old prison officer there. So I said to the old prison officer, there's no weapons. We're going to have a straightener. And he went, what's a straightener? The screw, the prison officer. I said, we're going to have a fight. I said, it's all right. Just go away. It'd be a fair fight. He's run along the landing and he's hit the red bell. And he shouts over where the officer's mess is. I don't know, Brian's in the officer's mess. And he shouts over the landing, quick, Emmett's having a straightener. Right. He's got me all the prison officers run out to stop it. there's loads of them they think there's going to be a bit of you know whatever's going to happen and my dad was in there with his mate who he used to have a puff with drawing the cups up right mm-hmm. so he's run out when they said my name but he's put the tea towel over his shoulder and forgot you know when they pull the tea towel off to do mm-hmm. the cups. And all of a sudden, as I've looked down the stairs, there's about 10 prison officers running. And who's in the front of them? My dad with a tea towel. And I thought, oh, my God. And he's going, anyone it's my boy, as if I'm seven. <laughs> anyone it's my boy. So Paddy's looked. I'm running up the stairs. So we're going to have a fight. And the old man's come running up the stairs. And I think Paddy was frightened of me, Dad, and not me. Yeah. So I start arguing with my dad. You've embarrassed me. How dare you do it? Stop the fight. So that's what he was like with me. Yeah. He never stopped.
0: Yeah, never stopped protecting you either. He had my back. Yeah.
1: And I had ease. But it was hard for two years. Of course,
0: I I bet it was. Made them myself. I designed them myself. They're beautiful. You like them? Very much so. Sam thought you'd take the piss out of me. No, I quite like them. They're a bit of fun, aren't they? Yeah. So go on, t- tell me, tell me, sorry about when your dad died, because I, well, you know what? Let's it get was, it on camera. And it, it's all on. It's all on. Oh okay. You know what I was going to say to you? There's, there's this um, I've got the quote somewhere. There's, there's this bit that really stuck with me. Something to do with. I think it was, I think it was the point of. I don't know if it was connected to your dad's death, but I think around when your dad died, that's when you re, you, you realised love. So, excuse me, so to speak. And I found it fascinating that you said. How you you learnt to love your grandchildren were the first people you loved like effortlessly. Is that connected to to the death? To I, some extent, I think, you think I there lo- was a release
1: there or something. I think I love my mum and dad with the same compassion that I love my grandchildren. Yeah, and my children. But because I was, I never had any trappings when my grandchildren were born. Mm. The action of love was um, was incredible. So that action filled my heart, so I unconditionally, for the first time in my life, Look, when my children were born, I felt that love, but I wasn't well. So it became money, holidays, what I can buy them. But as I got older, and I'd lost everything, with the grandchildren, they were like a gift. So it began to open my heart. So I'm not
0: saying I love my grandchildren better than I love my mum and dad and my children. It was so natural. There was no, there was no, there was nothing there. But nothing. Love. Yeah, there was, you didn't have anything to prove, so to speak, like you said. Absolutely. Whereas before, you were using other things, just buying stuff for them.
1: Well, because I couldn't connect. My heart wanted to, but my brain wouldn't allow it, or my my work wouldn't allow it. My being, my sex addiction wouldn't allow it, or this wouldn't allow it, or that wouldn't allow it. And so I lost that beautiful innocence with my kids. But it's really funny because it's like they give me a gift. So it's very, a lot of grandparents will tell you this. But for me, I've got seven incredible children. I don't favour one of them. I have, a, I, have a, a, I have a love that's very similar. Seven grandkids. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I absolutely, they're my life. Mm. This is what I'm doing it for. Yeah. This is what I'm doing it for. And um, I, um, yeah, this is what I'm doing it for, Mike. I, um I want their lives to be beautiful, and it's not about money. That's part of it. It's about the the peace, the the, 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 the what we spoke about earlier. Mm. That there's a re, there's a really peaceful, kind responsibility in being taught how to love people who are less fortunate. And then I think it becomes a character builder. Then I think it becomes a ra- reality. It'd be like putting your shoes on in the end. You know they wake up and think, "Oh, what have we got to do?" And I'd love them all to be part of the vision. I don't know. God's got—he—he—he's he, put seven children
0: in front of me. Do, do you think you're a lucky man? With them, just in life.
1: Just yeah, overall. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm a blessed man. It's just understanding it, and 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 activating it. Um, and and it's about loving oneself. Mm. And I think these grandchildren started that journey for me. Um. Self-love rather than ego pride. Look at me. I hate myself, but you're not going to know it because I'm going to put a mask on. Mm. Um, yeah, they, they've give me that. I had some moments in my life, Michael. Um, sadly, when my Lily was born, I wasn't there. I was in prison. And when Beth was born, uh, there was a hard situation going on. But when Amy was born, it was a natural birth and I had this... Unbelievable, natural love. When Lily was born, I had the same feeling. When Beth was born, I had the same feeling. Unconditional love. But I wasn't... Lily, Amy's was... The surroundings were beautiful. Lily, I was in prison. But I love my Lily. And I love my Bethy and my Amy. And that was the first taste I'd had of it prior to being a child from Gene. But you got to remember, I was dysfunctional. I'd been abused i'd had the 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 forefather sin which was really manifesting but i believe god had a purpose for me from a very young age and but when they came along a woman couldn't survive sex didn't survive money didn't survive drugs never survives but when i met these grandchildren (laughs) i can't i I can't put it in words Mm. it's not dramatic it's not over the top it's a reality. I mean, I, I, honestly, I've never loved it. And it's
0: so full, isn't it? It's so
1: beautiful, fills you up, yeah. Yeah, it does fill you up. That's yeah. a great way of putting it. And I, I was with my Nancy at the weekend. And I've got two granddaughters. And we spoke to my goo out in Marbella. And they're just incredible girls. And it's not because they're attractive or they're smart or they're trendy. They've just got unbelievable energy and it's like as if if I could choose I wrote a a card to my granddaughter Gracie Goo when she was about three it was either a birthday card or Christmas card and I put this in it if God asked me what sort of grandchild daughter I would like I would describe you that was to Grace and Nancy and and I meant it. It, it, it was. A, I suppose it's natural, Mike. It's, I think it's a natural love. It's a natural, and it it never weakens. It only gets stronger. I'm getting a dis- bit disappointed because they're they're not babies anymore. My Paddy, I've got Paddy who's he's 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 uh he's I think he's he's thirteen. I, I'm sorry, Paddy. I hope you're not 14 this year because it'll blow <laughs> me brains. Um, and then I've got my... It goes Paddy, Nancy, Gracie. They're between 10 and 11. 12, I think, next year. Sorry, kids, they're going to get the hump about this. And then Teddy, my little Teddy. Then I've got Alfie. Then I've got Noland. So Alfie and Teddy... Teddy's like a... Um, He's a, he's a bit of a bruiser, but he's very beautiful to look at and he's become a very kind, intelligent boy. Then you've got Alfie, who's, um, I adore my Alfie, <sighs> he's a funny kid. He rules his home. He's naughty, kind, nice, dominant, but there's something really special. I say, how much you love me? And he says, 900, pappy. They all speak well, my grandchildren. And, you know, they see me on a, on a, on a TV screen, on the front cover of a book. Yeah. But they've, they, they've styled it out well. And in comes little Noland. And um, he's a very, very special little boy, this Noland. He was, uh, he was premature uh, in a fighter warrior. Funny kid. And he lives in this little world, because when you love people the way I love my, and I'm not saying that my other grandparents don't love them the way, but you see things in them. And I don't have to be biased because the qualities I talk about, they've got so far, I pray you, long may it continue. And then you've got this little Nolan and he's just a character, he walks about dancing. He, he's funny, he's, he's cheeky. And in the last one, I pray there's more. Is this young kid called Freddie? He's got a mop of hair on him. Like he's never—I mean, women would die for this hair. And he—and yet yeah, I sing a song to him. Ain't no mountain high enough. He goes rigid. <laughs> and they found—I think I put the book up, the picture on Facebook uh, on Instagram. He found my book the other day, and he's—Oh,
0: st- I saw this. Yeah, yeah.
1: And he's a, he wasn't given that book.
0: Yeah, he just picked it up, yeah. And there's a
1: photograph before it that he's gone, oh! and then and, and, and then he's, he's pointing at his grandfather. Mm-hmm. They don't call me grandfather, they call me pappy. It's a gift. And that gift is godly, beautiful, not self-seeking. It's two-way. Great relationship, great friends of mine. Mm. And I'm honoured and blessed to say that I have got They're gifts from God. I'm honoured and blessed to say I've got seven, seven wonderful, beautiful grandchildren. And it's not a figment of my imagination. It's not something I'm forcing. It's something that comes very natural. And a lot of grandparents say it, but but I'm going to put it out there. Mine are blessed. (laughs) Mine are blessed. What's that?
0: About about when your father passed? Yeah,
1: yeah. So I suppose... Beautiful Sammy asked me how much I, you really love your dad. Mm. So it comes out in me now. But there was a time when I never... I always loved him. I didn't like him. Yeah. So that was a judgment on my behalf of him having left my mother. Mm. And he met a lady and he had another baby. And bless her, she's my sister. And, you know, he, he generally, I think, loved them. And, and, and so to them, it's important. To them, it's not an affair. To them it has value, you know, my younger sister. And she was, we never really went against them badly. I, I wasn't too happy. So a judgment came from me. And my, the pedestal that I had him on, my mum said to me when she first came into the prison, she says, you're going to find out things about your dad that you don't like. Now there's things about me that you might not like yourself. So that's just sort of a, a comment, but to hear it from my mum, whew, but it, it registered because I'd already got to that point and I'd never told anyone, yeah? And there was a judgment of love on him. It wasn't a judgment of character. It was a judgment of love. Mm-hmm. We're meant to love each other, us five. Me, Jean, Karen, Michael and Martin. When Martin died, the family broke. So there was all that going on and now we're in prison together and we're working together. But it was was heartbreaking because as much as I loved him, I stopped liking him. And I I couldn't believe that I'd stopped liking him. And the more I seemed to dislike him, the more I saw things that I didn't like about him. And I think with me and my dad, we were pretty brave guys, but when you have the affairs that we've had, it makes you feel bad about yourself. You become insecure. You lose that, that 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 the bollocks that you need to be a criminal. You feel bad. You feel like you're a coward. You feel like you're a sneak, and that portrays, and you have become it. So whereas you was brave and strong and wasn't worried about people, and I, that's a criminal life I'm talking about. We, we we slaughtered ourselves, and he done it. So did I. We was popular guys. We were. Loved and liked and, and, and I think I got away with it more than him because I did have a lot of goodness in me and I had a lot of good friends but, but I, I crapped on a few of my friends and now I managed to get away with it. And even today, I think there's still love but trust has gone. You know, I was their pal and I was always the, because of my dad, all my mates, I, 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 was the, I was the leader, not the leader, but I always had the move. It was a drug move. There was a this move. There was an that move. There was a. There was a. There's so many things that we. God willing, if we get to Netflix, we can. There's so much in there. Yeah, of see. course.
0: Yeah. There's yeah. so much. Like, is that, it's end, yeah. it's endless, done, really, had, isn't p- it? It's sorry. a lot. It's a lifetime of stories. Nine. I think I've
1: had nine lives, Mike.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you ain't a bad-looking boy, Michael. is you? I bet the birds like him and all didn't they? You got a fan club, Mike?
0: Uh, it's not something we can talk about on camera. Okay, I'm <laughs> I don't kiss and tell. Okay, I find kiss, kiss and tell. I find kissing and telling to be a, a uh, slightly distasteful. Amen. I agree. Yeah, I don't like it at all. Nor do I. I, I think a lot of people do it nowadays. Yeah. It's just like, oh, fucked her. Yeah, yeah. I tell like you, that. as a mate, like a gorgeous woman or whatever, but yeah, yeah. I'm not a big fan of oh, fuck this bird or yeah. No, I, ain't understand. I hate all of that.
1: I like that, mate. That's <laughs> a good principle. Good boy. Good man. My wife told me to stop telling. So anyway, so there's that going on. So then there's the prison. Yeah. I come home a year before my dad. He wasn't happy about that. He'd done another year, bless him. And, um, and then he'd, he'd left my mother and all that went on. And, and then he eventually went home because my mum loved him. So after his fourth relationship, he went back. Well, my mum was one of the He went back home. And then long before the dementia took place, it started manifesting in itself I suppose when he was about so how long ago was 204 17 years ago so he would be 90 now 80 70 maybe a bit later than 73 when he was about 75 she started seeing it so I went on a pig farm Mm. so I'm in this beautiful house they couldn't sell it and um, and I lived there and I made promises and I couldn't keep them, but I, I was just gone. And I think they got, the, they didn't have a bad deal. You know, the house wasn't really rentable. There the, the, was a few things that they needed to spend money on to make it the value that they wanted. But it was a beautiful, beautiful one. That's where Bob Geldof and the Boontown Rats come to. To record, right. Okay. To record, yeah. yeah. Well, fun that was, Bob. He was all right, Bob. Mm. And um, and it was funny. Their keyboard player. He, as soon as he went in to come into the house, he said, "Is your name Michael?" I thought, "Yeah, it is." He went, I oh, I see you speak at a." Um, oh, I was such a small world. Yeah, at a prison conference for um, wow, Alfred it's, yeah. prisons. It's, it's everywhere. I go yeah. everywhere and meet people. It's bizarre. Mm. I was in a village once, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, a long way in England. In England. In the middle of nowhere. And I walked into a corner shop, which I reckon about, they must get five, six people a day in there. And it was at this particular time, I walked in there and a mate of mine was there. He went, well, he's not a mate. He used to do the antique road road show. He went, what are you doing here, Michael? I thought, I can't go nowhere. And I can't. It's not because I'm popular. It's just, I think if you meet me, you don't forget me.
0: Well, that's for sure. But that's an uh, ability
1: you can use. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. But also, you have just talked in front of so many people over yeah. the years. It must, be, it must be insane.
1: Yeah. I think I was made for it. And I don't mean that egotistic. I think it's my gift. But I've got to get the, the right words to... That's why my brokenness mm. is... Because it's not broken. It's still fragmented. But I speak from my old brokenness. So it's authentic and real. And all my stories, that you've got to remember, I've done all them things. And I didn't really know they existed until I got clean. I just thought it was life. That's what everyone does until people went, are you mad? But anyway, back to to Dad. So I had resentment for him. Mum tried to look after him. But she started to say he's not very well. When he was about 78, I would imagine. But where he was tough, he, he rode it well. He rode it well. The dementia, he just, he just handled it. Okay, fine. He rode it well. But he started to, det- oh, bless his heart. I can see him now. Bless his heart. So I suppose 78, 79. But I think it was starting to, yeah, about that age. But where he'd lost everything, because I lost all the money and all things like that. He'd had, a, he'd been, he'd left my mother, and he'd met other women and married them, and I know he loved them, but there was something when Martin died. Lots of people lose their sons, but I think the build-up of the. See, my dad was a. My mother made my dad's life worth with worth living because she bought in a very uncanny way, peace to his heart. He, he was dysfunctional with the ancestral sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She covered the wounds. She covered... She was his... She was his sword carrier. She was his bag carrier. My mum didn't need my dad, but my dad needed my mum. He survived without her, but the quality of life he had with my darling mother, she was a very, very special lady. And so was he. But she was... She was... People would say she's a better person than him, but I don't look at it like that. It's a judgment. She was blessed... With a different personality than him he didn't choose it and i think because i had what he had to turn it around it's like turning a boat around uh, coming against a big wave you, you ain't got time you gotta persevere persevere and this is real what i'm telling you <laughs> so he's gone um so he gets to the stage where he's with me at the farm and we, we're mucking out pigs yeah so, and he weren't frightened of rats, and I was. We was in the kennels where all the pigs were, and there was rats everywhere. And one of them ran across my foot. He went, you was, you're frightened. He loved it. And he's not well. He's got a man bag on, and there's rats everywhere. And, and you're talking about two big drug smugglers, two men who was, who's had nice things in life, albeit tarnished, you know, who drove a Range Rover, not that that matters, who had a house in Marbella. Who had more than one house in Marbella, or whatever you've had, who smuggled on the oceans, who've seen this and done this. None of it's important. But when you're in a pig pen, yeah, and you're mucking out pigs, talk about the prodigal son, and you're doing that. And he's looked at me over, the rats run across my hand, and he's, and he, my foot, and he's gone. Yeah. And this is an old song, and it goes, If they could see us now, that little gang of ours We're eating fancy dishes, drinking fancy wine What a hold up, holy cow They'll never believe it, if our friends could see us now So he starts singing here, in his state, you know, I looked at him Anyway, it got quite hard with me and him And uh, and he ate, ah, bless you, Brian and uh, he had eight minor strokes. And today I'm happy that it happened. I wasn't then. And I looked up and the, and the demon had ceased. It was gone, what we had. It was a demon that wrapped its towel round the love that we had. And it nearly succeeded. But God in his grace wouldn't allow it. And, and it's deep. And I can't really say on here, but it was deep. It was very confrontational. Uh, there was a lot of love, hatred. But I love him. And when he took him off in the ambulance, he was gone. Oh dear, couldn't walk. He was gone. He'd had the strokes in the night and fell out of bed and smashed his head. I walked in and found him in the bedroom. I thought he'd spilt his coffee. It was thick blood. He was a. T- he didn't feel pain. He cut his finger when he had the when he lived with me on the farm, and I took him back to the, to the hospital a week, 10 days later. They rushed him in. He was going to lose his finger. He was hours away from losing it with, with whatever he had, and he couldn't feel it, and they freaked <laughs> it freaked him out. It freaked him out. His whole hands was, was um, arthritis. What, what would be the plural of that? Both hands. Arthritic. Arthritic. Yeah. And I put him in. I was fortunate to take him to an hospital, and they gave me a, a private room. We didn't have a dollar yeah gave me a private room and he knew I was leaving him there he played havoc he kept opening his gown with no clothes on he said (laughs) oh he said if you don't get me out of here I'll get out of here trust me I'll get out of here the nurse the doctors were phoning me he said come it was a lot of moments break for me Mm. he drove the carers mad he used to grab their bums when they was putting him in the bath they complained and then the following day, they sent two geezers. He was devastated because <laughs> I had to bath him. I said, Serve you right. I had to get him a not guilty with the social workers because he had grabbed the uh, carer's backside. And I had, to get, I had to go on a meeting. I said, We can't lose the, these social workers. I said, You've got to tell the truth. He said, I've never pleaded guilty in my life. <laughs> That's what he said to me.
0: That's We're living a part of the house was like, and this is obviously when his when his head still is his, his, his he's gut got, he's his, starting to dementia go. Dementia is quite heavy at this point. Yeah. Right? yeah,
1: no, it wasn't. Then it was it was still kicking in. Right, but when he had the strokes, <sighs> bless his arm, I, I took him away in an hospital, and I was looking at him like right now, and um, he lifted his head up. He had eight Minor strokes He was a tough boy. People thought he was emotionally weak. You know, I thought he was going to struggle in the prison, not because he was frightened of prisons. Because he's older. No, he just loved his freedom. He was spoiled. Oh, I see. He was spoiled. No one could outwit him. He didn't like it. So he'd do anything to get his own way. Boring. He wouldn't tell tales. Never. So I've looked at him like that. And he's... From eight strokes, minor strokes, he's gone. He can't walk. He never he never walked again after that day. Bless his heart. And he went like that. He put his head up when I'm at the end of the ambulance and he went to me, sweet. That's what I thought, oh, my God. So he had that dual weakness. He was so strong but so weak. And when you know someone's strong and you don't realise they're weak, you judge it whatever and you want to we're great at criticising people I've learned try not to he's in a care home for 18 months right the first care home I put him in in Godston I ain't got a dollar I ain't got no money and so I start going to... and we're grafters me and him we ain't, we, ain't, we ain't worried we ain't got no money and he's going into a care home first of all he was in the Crawley hospital he drove them mad and the matron she was about I don't care if you're listening actually he was out of order with my dad she made me sign this form she didn't make me i just couldn't be bothered i signed it but i signed his death warrant nearly so she said to me one day uh, he was in the dementia ward in crawley hospital and they wanted funded to take him where they was taking i said i ain't got nothing anyway i come back one day she said can i have a word with you so i said yeah so she said to me my husband He's a chief. Oh no, she went to me, do you know Eddie Richardson? And, and I hadn't seen any for years and I said, yeah, well, why is that? She went, do you know Freddie Fullman? This is the matron in the hospital. I thought she's she's found out about the old man because they didn't have a clue who he was. So I said, uh, not that he was anything special, but in that fraternity he was one of the chaps. And uh, she went to me, I said, well, why? She went, I don't believe it. you ain't got no money. This is the matron in the hospital. They wanted him out. He was driving them nuts, driving them mad, playing up, throwing his food, and then going, well, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. And he had a dementia that never took him out the game. So he was 50-50. And in a way, that's not such a great thing because they have an awareness that something is not going on. And then they have that moment when they go into the dementia state of mind that nothing's happening. So life passes them by and they do all their stuff.
0: They come back and they get really uh, frustrated with themselves. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. But his frustration was more because it was 50-50. It wasn't 90-10 where you said the lady sung Mm. and she came back. He was 50-50 because he knew who I was. He knew what songs I wanted to sing him and he knew what he was about. But he'd lost the power of ability to manipulate but um bless his heart so it was a very precious time as well and um so he's gone she said i don't believe you you haven't got any money this is the matron in the house i said what she said um well my husband i thought she'd googled or something she went my husband is a is a i don't know what he was at scotland yard but he was a big copper and she went, I, I know all about you. This is the matron, but she said it to me quietly. So I said, oh, I don't care what you think anyway. So, so, so we get him to a place in Godston. I went to this place in Godston. It's beautiful, but it was high-level dementia. There was no equilibrium there. It was just hot dementia, and it was nutty. And bless those people. The carers were incredible. So I had to leave the farm. There was something I had to leave. So I drive to the care home, and um, it's, it's, it's late at night, but I thought, I'm going in to see me dad. And I had the, the code. I go in there, Mike. There's all people running about naked. There's no doctors there. He's in his bed. And as I walk in his bed, he went, what's going on? What's going on? I said, dad, it's me. Dad, it's me. Dad, it's me. He went, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? It was like a madhouse, bless him so the following day i went to i said i want him out when you got this social services i said i want him out i said he she said well i've i've examined him and he's at the wrong place but to get him out is difficult so i got hold of this geezer who was a christian bless you, he was really good this fella but i didn't have no money i was living off my dad's pension without him knowing instead of paying his um, uh bill at the uh at the um care home i uh, he said you keep it he knew he said don't pay him (laughs) it was nice but i'm about 10 grand which i'll pay him one day Mm. but the government pay it but so it weren't my bill it's the government bill but i had the money so i could go and visit him and i'm talking about we we weren't skin but this is how bad it got I'm living off his pension but he knew he went don't let him know just keep it right. <laughs> he do that was his boy with nothing and uh wow that's powerful all that stuff i caught him from thieving in tesco's he went we need the food son then i got a butcher's round on the farm delivering pigs and lambs to uh butchers and and and, and having a go myself getting half a lamb half a pig cutting it all up putting it in the freezer we're like kings mm. Anyway, I go and see the fella at um, Dawkins and say to him, you know, me dad and all that. He said, oh, no, he said, I can't move him because he can't walk. I said, what about if he could walk? He said, I could move him. I said, okay, would you come with me? So he went, yeah. So I get out of this little van and I drive him to the care home in Godston. So I'm in the room with him and me dad and the geezer. So I said to the old man, can you stand up? He knows what I'm doing. He went, of course I can. He hasn't walked for six months. His legs are like paper. Yeah. So I said, listen, you've got to stand up. He said, don't worry about that, son. I said, if you, said well, I can't remember exactly, but I can imagine this is the conversation. I said, if you stand up, you're out of here. He went, leave it to me. The geezer could not believe it. He weighed seven stone. He's in a wheelchair. His legs were like cardboard. But he had strong calves. He went, I'll do it, son. I said, OK. So the fe- I said to the fella, he's going to do it. He said, he ain't going to stand up. He said, he ain't making it. I said, he is. I said, wait and see. So I said, stand. And he went like that. He got his ass off the chair. And I went, wallop. I put my arm around his back like, like, like I was a ventriloquist. And I stood him up. I went, is that all right? He couldn't. He was like that. I was I was holding him. I said, just stay still for a minute, and he was like that. It's me and him again fighting the enemy. Mm. And this fellow looked at me with compassion, and he became my friend. He said, let him go. I said, I said he, I said I ain't letting him go. To you, let. Him. She said, put him down. I said, no. I said, you all right? He went, yeah. We need to get out of here. So the fellow said, don't worry. And give us the and uh, give him the great. I'm still at it with dementia and care homes. A fella said, "Look, he shouldn't be going, but I'm. If I'm putting my neck on the line, and I'm going to say I see him stand, I said, thank you, mate.' Bomb got him to this care home in Rygate, and it was wonderful. And it was at about twenty people there. This one had about two hundred and fifty, whatever, and. And it was it was heavy dementia, but there was also some clarity there as well. It was a 50-50. And they fell in love with him. And he, from being a very aggressive man in this care home, dementia makes you aggressive. He became very quiet and nice. And there's a mate of ours called Herbie. And Herbie's quite a big boy. He's about 20 stone. And there was this lady who used to sit next to my dad. And they, all, they have dolls and things like that and they used to sit my dad next to this i mean she was that's the way 20 stone with a doll and when i used to go there she'd go to me and all that so so i used to sit there and he when he was in dementia state he thought it was our mate Erby, and it weren't it was the lady so but then normally he night, it weren't Erby. it was 50 50 all the time so he said to me one day Herbie's here now with me. Ain't you Herb? So he, she, he must they must have been flirting with each other or something like that. She turned around and went, hello. Really nice. So I thought, I can't spoil his time and say, "Hey, ain't Herbie. So he kept on and I said, listen, Dad. I said, it's not Herbie. Herbie? Yeah, I've, I've getting all this. So there was funny times. Mm. And, and then there were other times. And then he, he, he had the room right at the end because we had no money. And, uh, but he, he, he was in a five star place. How we got there it was God's blessing. And they fell in love with him, all the staff. And then when they started to find out he was a naughty boy, they loved him even more. And he had a, he was the, he was like the orchestrator of peace in there. And he goes, when he was clear, he goes, some pray. Anyway, after about six months, they said, he's got four days to die so i said okay which i was pleased about he went on another 12 months and i said, say listen do you want to get out of here <laughs> so he said yeah i said you've got to go home he says what to epson <laughs> shall i go out to kansas to see my sister i said no you got to go home he went where off said upstairs you're going home to the lord oh don't say that i ain't ready to go yet. i said daddy please he weighed six stone. We all got involved. We used to have parties down there. I mean, his other wives came, and they were great with him. Everyone was great with him. And then in the middle of it, Gene dies, my mum. And he knew, but I couldn't tell him. And the doctor said, if you tell him today, he'll forget by tomorrow. So you'll have to tell him at least 20 times before he remembers. So what you want to do is distress him badly, a daughter. He, a daughter. He couldn't eat. Had to force feed him. He had pneumonia and, and he went on and on. And, and, and the night, the day we buried my mum, a guy called Jamie, uh, he's my son-in-law's father. And we didn't see eye to eye all the time. And he's a nice lad. We've had our ups and downs, but he lived near the care home and he had the decency to take the flower from my mum's grave and put it in my dad's room. And I never knew he'd done that. And when I went to visit my dad the following day, I see my mum's flower there. And I thought, what a lovely thing for a person to do. So he took part of my mum's funeral to my dad's care home. And my dad used to say, what's happening to your mum? I said, no, she's all right, she's gone home. What do you mean, gone home? And that's all I used to say. And I was dying to tell him, but they wouldn't allow it. Anyway, he deteriorated. I said, take him off his medication. And they went, no, no, no. I said, take him off his medication. I want him to go. It's not fair to him. They took him off his medication. They said he last a week. He went on another four months. He never starts to say, bright. Anyway, where he never went, and I was there for constantly, eight, and not only me, loads of people, but I was, I was the boy. I was his boy. I have his seven children, and he loved us all the same. Um... He wanted me there for some unknown reason. And I, and, I, and I reacted because I think it was a God moment. It was, it was a timing moment. And, um, you know, everyone was busy. I was look, people was looking for me because I owed money everywhere. And, you know, bless these people. I'm so sorry what happened, to be honest with you. And one day it'll be put right. There's some lovely people. But I think when God separates you from something, it's brutal. Because if you cut... You know when you prune a rose... If that rose could, it was alive. Although they are alive, I bet they go. Oh, that hurt! Or you prune a tree. It's severe, isn't it? You think, "Where's my lovely tree? It's all all right, but it's cut." And in about a year, you go, "God, don't they look lovely?" So that's what it felt like losing all my friends and my money and things like that, or or separating. Let's just say, and God will bring back. He, he he sifts the wheat out from the chaff and the chaff from the wheat. Anyway, get to the point. So, um, dad's in trouble. Get backwards and forward. Bam, 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 I decided to go to Spain because my my son-in-law had been fantastic. My son-in-law Perry, with um, he helped me a lot with my dad. My, he really loved my dad, and um, and my other son-in-law Dave Flowers. You know, he he had fun with Brian, but he was a little bit after Perry and. And i got two, I've got a wonderful family. I, I really have. But Perry was special to me. My, Perry was sort of special to my dad. He was, he was a bit like me dad, actually. And uh, anyway, you know, he, he had his hair cut. He took him to Brighton and because he was familiar with him. And, um, and so they moved out to Spain, Perry and my daughter, Beth, and they've got a business company. Uh, they're, they're, well, they've got a business, uh, they're, they're a business company. They've got a building uh, refurbishment business. And um, so, because I knew everyone in Spain, they needed a lawyer, they needed all sorts. So, I fly out with them. The day I arrive, I'm not out with my daughter, with, with my son in law. The day I arrive was a Thursday. On the Friday, I get a phone call from my younger sister, Alice. God, my arse You're right. Do you, you, know, do you want they, to stand up and move they, about for a minute? They, you know what it is. When I've lost a lot of weight, my bone comes through the yeah. backside <laughs> yeah. a <little> bit. <laughs> That's what happens. Yeah. So he's gone. Um, so, um, so I'm out in Spain and, and Alice, she gives me a call. And uh, she said, um, Daddy's not well. I said, he'd be all right. She said, no. She said, and he keeps asking for you. Where's Michael? So I phoned up the home, they went, sorry to say this to you. Now, I've been saying to the doctor, he went, it'll be all right, it'll be all right. Every week for 18 months. And the doctor told me that sometimes when the people they leave love, they decide to die because they don't want to see them dying. Whether that was the case or not, have you heard of that? Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, whether that was the case or not, I don't know. But this is what happened. It's so easy to fly back from Spain. So easy. So I tried to get a flight back. They said he's got four days. So I thought, I'll fly into Gatwick. He was at the home in Rygate. I'll stay at the home for a day or two. I'd sleep in his room if I had to. I mean, it wasn't a great, nice smelling place, but it was me dad. I'd have, I'd, have, I'd have nut down and stayed there. And that was what I was intending to do. The following morning, I couldn't get a flight for love nor money. It's easy to get flights to Spain. They quoted me £800 pounds to fly into... um City Airport. Anyway, the following morning, wake up, get one for three and a half. It's 100 quid, one and a half, easy. That's a bit odd. And I'm going on the Monday. They said he's got till the Wednesday. So I thought I've got a day or two with him. I'll get me ticket. I phone him up on the Saturday. And she said, I'm really sorry, Michael, but he's got two hours to live. Whoa. How do they know? I don't know. I said, what? So my ex-wife was round the corner. Beth was round the corner. I said, go round there and sit with him. And they're both very game characters, but they start off with fear. No, I said, just go round there and hold his hand. Now, the mobile phone didn't work well in the room. It was 70-30 against. 70% of the time, you wouldn't have got it. So you did have a bit of a lot, but you'd lose the signal. It was one of them things, you know. It was chancy. The lady at the um, at the care home with well, most of them people, I just want to g- g- give a plug to them there, and I can't remember the name of it. Terrible, you know? But they were lovely people, and uh, one of the ladies' names was B. She was she follows me on Instagram, and she's a lovely lady. She is she loved my dad, and I thought if only they knew. <laughs> so, uh, so they tell me he's going to go. So. There's nothing I can do but just let Tracy and Beth deal with it. <coughs> Excuse me. But anyway, the lady calls me and says, phone the room. So they put the mobile in the room on the windowsill and I phone it. And he's waiting for me to die. It's true. So I phone it. And they say my voice went, all right, Dad. And he's he's going. He, he ain't got... So... Uh, so the lady shouts out, "Speak to him, Michael." She was about to give him the jollop to help him. And um, what do they call you to help your diets? A um, uh, bit of morphine. Morphine, yeah. yeah. So if they overdose you on morphine, you go. Yeah, you do go, yeah. Yeah. So she was ready to do that, and um, bless his heart. So she went. To so I said, "All right, Bri. And I can sort of remember what I said to him. So I run him through our life, and I told him how much I loved him. Now, there's been deep resentments here, yeah. I never stopped loving him. I could have spent a million pounds on therapy with my dad, and I wouldn't have got to where we got to in the four, four minutes, 48 seconds exactly. So I'm with Perry in the car, and we're coming out of a mountain region, tricky with the signal. So we put, I said, he pulls up, he didn't care, he pulled up right on the Carretera, Perry, but he said, go on. So I sat and said to him how much I loved him. I thanked him for everything that he'd ever done for me. And uh, I said, and don't worry, don't be frightened, Brian." I said, you'll see mummy, because mummy died five months ago. So I got to tell him. He responded by, Nya! and he stuck his tongue out of his mouth. And Beth shouts out, he's poked his tongue. So he heard me. And then she sh- the woman shouts out, pray you he's talking about two hard and criminals. I shared this at his funeral. And they was all there foreman. They was all there. And uh, I shared it at his funeral. And I just said, in the name of Jesus. Yeah. And I said, don't worry, Dad. And I called the angels. I said, you know, just take him. And as I said, I said, you know, don't be frightened, Dad. You know, Father God, Holy Spirit, come and take, take him. And as I said, take him, she shouts out, he's gone. When I went to see her, It was unbelievable. Absolutely, four minutes, 48 seconds. I shared what was in my heart. It healed every pain, the father son thing. I'd have died for him. I don't know if I'd have have, have been there to the death with him, like it would be for me. And it ended so beautiful. And we were praying. I was praying for him. And I had no guilt or shame about when he died in fact it, that's why I believe in God they're the situations that make me believe in something greater than myself there's
0: almost a relief isn't there it, when, it was when, a relief when he passed
1: but if this hadn't have happened that that time on prayer and in the thing I'd have carried guilt and shame I know I would have done um but I I didn't he, he was gracious God was and so was my dad And
0: what, what do you think he'd, he'd think to what you're doing at the moment
1: There'd be a part of him, because all his mates have wrote books, he, he'd go, you mug. Showing off. No, because he's not, no, he no, that's he, the might, only, he might look at it like that. No, he wouldn't, because he knows the story in the books about Jesus. Mm. If I wrote a crime book, he, he'd. if I'd have just wrote a crime book, he'd have given it to me. Making films and writing books, we don't do that. But a lot of his friends do. And I'm not sure how he'd be with it today, but he used to run away, not because of the celebrity or showing off. He just didn't want his name out there. He didn't want any glory, my dad. He didn't want the notoriety. But he would like what I'm doing because it's about a faith journey. But if I just put a crime book down, he'd go, what are you doing? You can't do that. So it's been written quite cleverly, that. To make a film, documentary which I want to do both, a new way I'm going to do it, by the grace of God. He would would support it, because he knows where I am today. If you'd have asked me that, if I'd have wrote that 20 years ago, he'd have have clumped me. He wouldn't have had it. We don't write books, son. So because it's a faith book then. So but the end of the story of him dying, when I prayed for him, as I said, take him, he said he's gone. I went back to see the nurse, or the matron or whatever she was. And she said, I've worked in this industry for 30 years. She said, I've seen deaths most weeks, most months. She said, but Michael, something entered that room. I have never, ever witnessed a man who was in so much pain, find relief when you prayed. Wow. And you're talking about a lady who works in a care room for 30 years. She said, it, it really convinced me that something happened in that room. She said, I've never experienced anything like it. Wow it's incredible yeah. she was at the funeral and I, I, I was going to ask her to stand up but I couldn't I, said, I but I mentioned it and when he died they took a the photograph of him because this is quite funny yeah and they sent me the photograph he looked diabolical <laughs> <sighs> something must have smashed in him as he died like a blood must have broke. his face mm-hmm. was dark and that mm-hmm. he looked awful I've got the photographs anyway they take him to Rygate um Morgue or whatever they call them and my sister said, oh, we're getting buried in Epsom and all that. And they took him to um, a place in Reigate. And I thought, I ain't having him buried down there. So I flew into England, phoned up a lady I know because she'd buried my mother, a New Zealand girl. I said, do us a favour. I, I even asked for a discount. I said, because there's two of them. said, I've never known anyone <laughs> who asked for a discount. <laughs> the funeral father. So I said, I've never known it. I said, give us a discount. I got 100 quid off. But she, I was talking, I wanted about a bag of sand off, a grand. Anyway, she's gone. Um, I said, do us a favour. Chelsea Funeral Parlor it was. I said, would you go and get my dad? So she went, where is he? I said, he's in the morgue in um, Reigate. They're going to debarm him and bury him down in Epsom. I want him up here. She went, leave it to me. So I never told anyone. <laughs> Just, not that I was fussed. I think I might have told my sister, but I just done what I wanted to do, and um, I took his funeral over in the grace and love that I thought I should do, and I went and got him, and I took him up to the New Zealand lady at Chelsea, and uh, and I'll end here. It took me about another minute. It's quite a lovely story. Yeah, go ahead. So I went up there. So I said they went and got him. They'd been there for about six days because I was come back and I had to do the paperwork and all that. I was his next to kid. I stayed in Spain. I wasn't too fussed. I wanted to chill. I was fussed about him, but I thought, ah, it'd be all right. So I come back, I used to phone him. I said, he's all right, yeah, but we need to move him and all that. I said, I'll be there because I signed sign the paper. So I went back, not because I didn't care, because I really did care. It was about, I had to think about this. I didn't have a lot of money, but I had to think about it. I, and I had to think about, I had, I had trouble out on the streets. I arrived back. So I, I call her, she goes in and picks him up. I sign the paperwork and they debar him, whatever they do, all that stuff. So I thought, God, it's about 10 days now. I thought, I bet he don't look too pretty. So I went into Marks and Pen. Pay- I threw all his clothes away in the care home, my the mother. They were beautiful suits, give them all away. His lovely crocodile shoes and all that. So I thought, I'm going to go and buy him. So I thought, why should I buy him? So I went into Marks. And I thought, well, do. he won't mind. He'd probably have the um, but I'll get him, marks. <laughs> so I bought him a white pair of Chino trousers and a lovely, like, beautiful orange sort of shirt, it was. And i picked up these yellow pants because he, he used to wear yellow pants when I was a kid and I hated them. They used to frighten me. And he had a right big pair of bollocks, my dad. <laughs> so I'm at the counter at Mark's. So I'm looking at a lady and I don't hear his voice, but I hear inside of me. I don't like them pants. <laughs> and I thought, is that me? So I started to cry. So the lady went, what are you, cross out? I said, oh, it's me dad and he don't like these pants. So she thinks, oh, she went, what? I said, I oh, don't like these pants and all that. She said, well, just change him. Are you crying? I said, because he's dead. So she went, well, how do you know? He won't, I said, don't matter how I know, he won't like, he won't. She comes, I'll get him his pants, give him to the lady, New Zealand. Like, they dress him, Yeah. It's probably been about 10 to 12 days or something like that. No one wants to see him because of how bad he looked. He was six and a half stone. None of the kids, none of the grandchildren, and they loved him. And uh, funny enough, I found a picture of him today when he fell out of his bed. Even in there, he's got a big black eye with a thing over it. So I said to the lady, so my Lily, my middle daughter, she said, I'll come with you, Dad. So I said, all right, and we meet in the Chelsea funeral place. And I kid you not, i kid you not i walk into the chapel rest, and he i thought i was going to break down he had a smile on his face he looked like he just come off the beach all the barnet back all of what they do to him he look I mean, I can't show you the photographs because they're personal, but if you see the before and after, if you'd have seen the before, you wouldn't have gone. The after, and he had a smile on his face. And as I walked in there with a New Zealand but my lily burst out crying. As I looked at him, I went, you saucy bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and was that was cool. it. And that was it. And that was it. <laughs> and she kept him for me there. It was lovely. He had a great funeral They all turned up. And I got up and told that story and we prayed. And, and that was it for Bri. Would you
0: mind quickly telling us the Reggie Cray football tournament story? Not at all. Because I love it. And I, well, I'm sure you'll, you'll bring it to life. But in the book, it was fun, fascinating, to, especially the fact that he, what he said to you at the end. Yeah.
1: So so Reg and I, got to have a little bit of a build up. Reg was sort of da- da- dad. He weren't my dad's friend, but Reg knew my dad. Do you know what I got the other day? <laughs> a mate of mine was in a mental institution in Epsom. And he was writing to Ronnie Cray. And I've got the letter on my phone. And we can do something with it if you want. And, my, and Ronnie Cray from Dartmoor sent this letter to my friend John. Yeah? And in it, he mentions my dad. Says so like, hello to Brian Emmett for us. And the guy I haven't seen, this letter was must, must be 40 years old. And his nephew's got it, who's found me through sins of fathers. He said, are you Michael Emmett, blah, blah, blah. I said, you've got me, blah, blah, blah. He's only, a, he's about your age, this young man. And he said, I've got something for you. He said, here's a letter with your daddy. And, and he sent it me from Ronnie, sent from Dartmoor Prison to my mate John, kept in his sort of private things. The nephew gives it, and he sends it a picture about to, uh, on the, on the uh, phone. about. And I thought, well, that's sweet, you know. So it's all stuff that I've got. Yeah. But anyway, Reggie. So my so we we wind up in Mason and, um, you know, there's a number of stories about Reg with the Sex Pistols. You don't know that story. Um, there's all stuff. There's, there's, some, there's stuff about Pink Floyd and there's the stuff about the football. You want the football one, didn't you? Yeah.
0: Right. If that's all right, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So...
1: Maidstone in 1996 was just the end of old school in prisons, I think. It was like the council flats. All the chaps were there. There was no trouble. It was a genuine place of...
0: What, what do you mean, old school?
1: Well, my dad was old school.
0: Oh, you mean the old, the old generations? The old, uh, I've the, got the, an the old... Su- the, the craze, your lot, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, okay, fine. But
1: not only the craze,
0: it felt. Fil- well, when you said fraternity earlier, that's what you mean by that, right? That, the old school that, fraternity. Yeah, the, that crowd of people, which was who?
1: Ronnie, Ronnie Cray, Reggie Cray, Freddie Foreman, the twins, Eddie Ron. Richardson, my dad, Arthur Satie, all take that last name off. Billy, Bobby McHugh, you know, the list is endless. And uh, all the Marbella people, they was called old school. So I think it originally. You ain't got a tissue, have you? Get you no, don't worry about it. I can get through it. It's only the broken nose coming through. So, they as long as my uter ain't dirty. No, that's fine. Is it? So, um, so anyway, um, so there's that connection. Reg wrote about Brian in his book, and um, but I wasn't sort of impressed with Reg. You know, I've said it before about his notoriety. That that went over my head
0: because you you were in it, like you said. You knew, yeah, you knew these people from childhood, right?
1: Yeah, I did, but it was still a time and a place where I was impressionable. I was impressed by him, yeah. But some, uh, in you know Reg, and he, although he was a strong, fit man, he had shrunk. Character, I, 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 you know Reggie Cray. They say what he'd done and what he didn't do and all that, but there was a side of Reg that I believe that it was like the blind leading the blind. And I'm not saying he shouldn't take responsibility for his actions, but to do 33 stretch was a liberty. But the pen is mightier than the sword. It's over Lord Bovary with Ron, you know. And I think they were more like celebrities, dangerous celebrities. I do the twins, but I never knew Ron. I never knew Ron. So Reg, I met Reg on the stairs. He said, "Hello, Brian. How are you?" And we got on. He saw a big cross round his neck. And there was a spiritual side to Reg, you know, there definitely was. And there was always drawings and pictures and paintings. And there's so many stories I've got, which are so funny. But this is the one. We used to pay into wing football, yeah? So it was three wings, so winner used to stay on. World Wing, Medway, and I forget the name of the other one. So every Saturday, and you got Winston Silcock there. you got so many people there. Winston was—he uh, he was a lovely boy, Winston. But they said he arrested, the, he killed a cop, and they say never. I don't. Well, he got out of it in the end, but he'd done a long time. So I believe he was innocent, Winston. But um it was all there. I would say you know, top of the league, premier criminals, but all sort of that. There was no rivalry. There was no sort of violence there. There was the influx of. You know, all sorts of nationalities, uh, you know, Dutch, Jamaican, Indian, English, Chinese, Thai. It was all there. And all there for the same reason, because we'd done big crimes. No short sentences. There was a people doing a lot longer than me, 30 years, 20 years. It was Joe Martin, the double lifer, Reggie Cray. It was a, uh, it was a number of, there it was, it was that lovely East London fella. what was his name? I forget his name, he was a Corker. So I decided to do an over 45s. Because we was playing every week, you know. There was all Indian guys who'd been nicked for smack, doing 10s and 20s and 30 years. Used to walk about with their turbans on, and they were lovely guys. So we, we have a game of football. It, the, the, the football pitch in, um, in Mainstone, it, it, it's near the outer wall, there was a swimming pool there, and it was the outer wall. And you could see the tops of the houses... Yeah, And I'm not sure if they could see it. And I doubt very much. But they could see part of it. But we're a road depth away from them, breadth away. And we're having this game of football. And I don't want to sort of shop the business about what people do in prisons. That's not kiss and tell. But there was a few things that made people light-hearted, put it that way. So we're having fun. And you got Reggie Cray, Joe Martin, Brian Emmett. There's all these sort of old criminals and a few youngsters. Life is there who who we know. So it was a mixed bunch. We'll have the game of football. So there's there's a lot of cheering going on. And the merrier, the longer the game goes on, the merrier they're getting. Because they're slightly misbehaving. And um, they're knocking each other off the ball. Well, Reg... He was bow legged. I reckon he caught, could have caught the ball in between his knees. Yeah. Anyway, they're knocking him over. He's getting up, and everyone's shouting things. It was great. I was the ref. So someone shouts out, "Do it for Ronnie Reg." All that dialogue is going on. It's colossal. Yeah. Now this is not to decry Reg, but he had a he, he had a partner in there. You know, you could call it a boyfriend. But I would call it more than that. I would call it a companion who he loved. Is that wrong? Uh, who am I to judge, young Bradley? So there was there was companionship. You know, there's no judgment, but it was a reality. And um, <laughs> so he's obviously whatever. Bless you. He's had a kiss and a cuddle in there. Put it like that. Yeah. So, it goes to penalties, yeah? So, I say to the kid in goal, I say, D- dive to the left. No, sorry, I say, dive to the
0: right. So, R- R-
1: Reg, he he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't have got through a breathalyzer, Reg. Put it like that.
0: <laughs> so, everyone's hammered at this point?
1: Well, sort of. I mean, well, I yeah. don't want to put it out there, but you can't kiss and tell. But, you know, the, bre- the breathalyzer, we'd have all lost our licences. Put yeah. it like that. <laughs> <Okay>. So... <laughs> And every face in London's there, some really, really, really good people. Call them dangerous, call them bank robbers, call them drug smugglers, but the quality of the heart, the, the camaraderie, the friendship, the loyalty, and no one was violent, there was no one getting violence. We were locked away doing our time because we'd done the crime and we was, we was having a bit of fun. We weren't causing trouble and it was a blind eye. And I don't want it, like, because we're on the TV or the newspapers to to kiss and tell about prisons. But you're going to understand what goes on. We're we're, we're criminals. What, we're going to sit there and put our hands under our arses and be good boys? But I'm not saying we was doing bad things. We was having fun, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was a good nick. It, 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 it uh, It was amicable. It was kind, funny stuff. So... It's the penalties, and Reggie's
0: going to take the last penalty. By the way, Reg Cray at this point, he's, he's quite old. He's quite frail, yeah? would you say?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was in 1996. He, he was old and frail, but he was, he was old and strong. He still had that wily muscle. He could still fring a little while. He used to go on the pads, and he had his speed ball. But he wouldn't, been a, he wouldn't have been a fit. A, a, you yeah, he, he wouldn't think, oh, this Reggie Cray, I'm frightened. You know, it weren't like that. They was only they was only little the twins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They weren't big guys, but they were boxers and they had that sort of thing. But he'd been in prison thirty years. It don't show on your shoes, you know what I mean? Mm. So the boat, my grandson, and I'm not talking about my fourteen year, thirteen year old, I'm talking about my one year old, would have kicked the ball harder. But <laughs> it's rigged. The game's rigged. So they shout out again. As he goes to take the penalty, his little bow legs. I wish I could stand up. He was like that.
0: He was like a weeble. You can stand up. You've got a lapel, mic if, if, you,
1: if you want to stand no, up. No, I'm all right. Yeah. So they shout out from the touchline. Do it for... Again. Do it for Rolly Reg. Great dialogue. You know, talking about the twins. And Reg turns round like that. And he goes, Our spirits are entwined. Come on, Ronnie! And he runs up to this ball. But it was like slow motion. And I've told the kid which way to dive. So it had, I think I had to blow it over the line, right? <laughs> so he's run to the like that. <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he ain't kicked it well the top of his shoes, hit it, so it's bubbled. And the goalkeeper is waiting to dive. He's rigged. And he knows what way to go. But he can't dive too early. We all know what it's about. We want to make it look good for Reg. So he's on one leg waiting. to. He dives. The ball goes in. So they put Reg on their shoulders. And his bollock comes out. And <laughs> It's on the geezer's Gregory on his neck. And this is not to decry you, Reg. But you could see Reg m- moving about... His orchestra is on the geezer's neck. His eye. His, his, his
0: orchestra. That's such a good way to put it.
1: <laughs> his, his eyes are <laughs> flittering,
0: yeah.
1: and we start singing, "We are the champions, my friend." And I suppose it was. I might be exaggerating in saying it was hundred people, but it was more than thirty or forty. We was, yeah, you know, maybe that. What well, I can't remember. So the Reggie's lying to we are... And, and, and Reggie's going, we... He was being adored. And he had a tear in his eye. And he turned around and he looked at me. He said, Michael, this is the happiest day of my prison sentence. And I knew well, he meant it. So I don't want to tarnish it with a bollock of next story, which is funny. But it, is funny it is funny. It's hilarious. Yeah. So we walk him into the thing, into the wing. But do you know this bit? Do you want me to carry No, on? I don't know this, this bit. Is no, no, go ahead. This is colossal, Yeah. Bit. And um, there must have been a protocol, right, that Reg and Ronnie and Charlie could speak to each other whenever they liked. I think it was an unwritten rule. So because he was muttoned... Who's, who's Charlie, sorry? Charlie Cray was the brother. Okay, fine. Ronald Ronald died by
0: now. Fine.
1: And um, God bless you, Reg. And so because he was muttoned, he used to have glasses. He said, my Ronnie bought me these. They were a thousand pounds, he used to say. And what they used to have, and there's another story when I pr- he said I prayed for him and he took his glasses off. He said, "Mike, he was drunk on the wing. He said, Michael Emich, pray for me. I was so embarrassed. My toes were curling in me. I hid behind the dog, going, Whatever. He went, Michael Emich, pray for me on the fores. I don't need my glasses no more. He fell over. <laughs> Couldn't see a thing. He was as blind as a bat, honestly. He, and that was a post, so he had these things, and they used to have the microphone in here. And he, so oh, for mic- his hearing aid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. he, he could. They were bifocals like that. The glasses. So he used to see through them like that. Put them on his ear, so the hearing aid was there, so he could see and hear with his glasses. My Ronnie bought these. He used to say thousand pounds they are, Michael. Come on, you'll be out of here. So we're going back on the wing and where he was mutton, deaf, there used to be a sort of a round thing that they used to attach it to the phone in the probation so he could hear. So he's gone now Charles Bronson, do you know who Charles Bronson is? So there was two Iranian terrorists. I think they was Iranian. And it took her either <coughs> either a plane or hostages. So Charlie Bronson, that day we've had the football game, has taken... the two. I believe this... To, well, it is true. I'm not making it up. He'd taken the hostages. I'm not sure if that bit's right, but he'd taken hostages. Yeah. And he'd done what he'd done, and he'd got them in the cell, and, and he'd done what he had to do. So he took the terrorist hostage the same day we've had the football. So there's a lockdown in Belmont. So... Charles Bronson gets the hostages and he puts them in the cell. They do all sorts of things. They put toilet over themselves but he ain't got a cell now. I'm taking the terrorist hostages and just takes them. And I think people are a little bit, wow, here we go. And he locks himself in the cell. So, I work not neb. That's what they say. And it ain't allegedly. It's true. So, but we don't know that. So we go back onto the wing in Maystone after... It's like the inebriated brute, it was. What's that restaurant called? There was a restaurant. The drunken. Anyway, that's what it was like. So we're all a little bit. I weren't, but oh yeah, I was. Blah blah blah. Go on the wing. I want to speak to Charlie. Ridge has gone. And there's about ten of us from the football game. Yeah. So oh the 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 prison officer, so make it right ray, I think his name was. He said, all right, Reg, and it was, I I remember thinking, well, he he can speak to Charlie whenever he likes. So I think it was, something was written, you know, after 33 years, it was like a little treat maybe for him, you know. So they phone up Belmarsh, and where the probation office was, it went in a half circle, something if I remember right, and there was a window... Now you had to go in, but Reg is taking the phone through the window and we're all cow- we're all behind Reg. He said, Listen to this, boys. They put the thing on the phone. You couldn't make this up. So he phoned, they get through to Belmarsh and he says, they said, Oh, it's Reg, he wants to speak to Charlie. So the prison's gone, we're on a lockdown. You know, blah, blah, blah. Reg went, get my Charlie. Anyway, they go and get Charlie. Now Charlie was the most loveliest man. He was a very, very nice man, Charlie. You know. You know, ye, what, what's that saying? Um, cast the first stone sort of thing. So we put Charlie. Ye without sin cast the first stone. Charlie was a good boy. And when you say that, people go, it's the twins and they don't like it. Charlie and Reg, I didn't know Ron. They, they was all right. And I knew Charlie well from the outside. Well, not well, but yeah. Another story here, loads of them. So... Go and get my Charlie. So after a little while, Charlie was a little bit, I think Ronnie and Reggie used to tell him what to do. But I don't think he used to respond out of fear. I think he used to respond because he knew he could trigger something. So he always spoke quietly. Although Reg spoke with a lisp. Spoke like that. Hello, Michael. You alright? You won't believe. It. I'd love to get a sound. Try and get a sound of Reggie's voice because you won't believe it's their voices. They go, "Hello, how are you? You okay?" So they both used to speak. So he goes and gets Charlie. A bit drawn out. So all of a sudden, no, I'm alright. So he gets Charlie. So he says, "All right, Charlie." And we're all listening with the with the thing. So Charlie's gone, Reg, Reg. He said, look, I can't really speak on the phone. He said, because Charlie Bronson's taking the terrorist hostage in here. He said, we're on a lockdown. He said, you're lucky to get me. So Reg went, don't worry about that, Charlie. So he went, what's the matter? He said, I've just been involved with a shootout. So Charlie went, what do you mean a shootout? He went, a fucking penalty shootout.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I put the phone down. That's amazing. It's fantastic. (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, so you knew you knew Bronson as well. No, never knew
1: Charlie. No, Um, I think Brian knew a bit of him, but I think,
0: um, yeah, I I didn't know him. No, I didn't know. Because I mean, he's done. He's still alive, isn't he? Yeah. 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 Yeah, He's done it. Done the longest stretch ever. It's like he wants to be in there.
1: Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, bless Charlie Bronson. He's like again, whether it was Charlie Bronson or you, Michael. We're all human beings with exactly, defects yeah. of character. We're
0: rightly and wrong, but
1: you know, let's you know, no matter what, there's no judgment. If they say the man's a bad man, that's out of order. He might be a good.
0: What do you, What do you mean by that?
1: Well, because he might be a good man. He might be a bad man. It doesn't matter what he is. he's served so many years in prison for his crime. Yeah, so... You,
0: but, but he's considered a violent man.
1: No, absolutely. I'm not saying that at all. Yeah. But he's done his time. So I'm not saying, um, you know, they say a lot of people, were well, well, they got away with it. The Twins never got away with it. Charlie Bronson never got away with it. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but if there was any judgment on a character, whatever they'd done wrong... They took right on the chin, and so my adm- admiration from him. Um, is not in an agreement with what any or di- it's not an agreement or disagreement. It's whatever they've done, they've paid the price, yeah. and a lot of people don't. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to go into sort of sex crimes and because there's no judgment here. But when you think about, and I'm not one of those people that go, oh look, they've done this, and the because there's on a sex crime, do we judge?
0: Did, did they did they get targeted? The twins? No, uh, people who do sex crimes and paedophiles. Yeah, of course they do. But they, they, they get beaten up a lot?
1: Well, they, they don't come near you. They're segregated.
0: Oh, really? Because yeah. people are just willing to kill them, basically. Yeah,
1: because a lot of it, I mean, places like Broadmoor, I mean, you could read it in the newspapers about Peter Sutcliffe, what used to happen to him, and, you know, the, the Moore's murder, what happened to him. Um, I used to find her quite intriguing, that Lee. I used to have nightmares about her. I, I really, as I got older, as I was a man of God in prison, I wanted to meet her. And I stood outside a cell that she was in, and I said to the vicar, "Let me meet her." Really? I, I just was intrigued by. Her. I used to be so frightened of her as a kid. I had a nightmare about her. I did, but I oh. wanted to look Myra Hindley. But I wanted to look at her. What was she famous for again? The Moors Murders. Yes, it's so. pretty. It's a gruesome. So, so the. This is not a judgment because whatever judgment I have is in my heart. So I'm not about to slag her down or, or be a do-gooder. So whatever she done, she paid the price. Horrendous what she'd done. Horrendous what she'd done. But who knows why, who knows if. You know, those poor children. But there was something about me. I didn't want to say anything to her. I didn't want to
0: just wanted to see see her in the flesh
1: i wanted to look in her eyes yeah 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 because she freaked me out when i was a kid and i stood outside her cell
0: i went to a woman's prison to do a talk
1: and her her cell um it was like as if she had her own little thing in the middle of the yard and i'm not sure if she was on her own in there or there were other inmates but it was a very small about the size of a big garden shed no bigger than that like a two council flats or two little flats together and, and a, win, a window was there and I was moving through the prison with the, sub, with the prison officers to be taken out the gate and we had to stop there and the vicar said to me that's only cell there and I went what so I had my back against the wall and I said take me in there he said oh he said there's no way you'd get in there I said are you frightened of? he said no it just doesn't matter so I asked him "What?" If,
0: yeah, yeah well, why would you not get in there
1: well because of the car- they'd think you're a tacker right okay you know but, um, How old was she then? Uh, it's it a few years previous. I suppose this is about 15 years ago. But, um, you know, I've got stories, which I don't really want to talk about right now on here, about the sex offenders in prison. Um, and it's something that, one, I find extremely distressful for victims. But as I've got older... And sort of believed in stuff. There's a consequence for everything. But it, it intrigued me. If I come away from the the gruesome acts, if I don't include that in it, because if I include that in it then, it, then it's just a judgment that you're a dirty rotten pig. Yeah. But then I I, I got into because of my own addictions, and I'm not gonna be I like that. I used to think... Sorry, Mike, will come forward a bit? I used to think, I wonder what it is. We've got to be careful what we do with this stuff. Yeah, Maybe fine. we keep this on our own.
0: No, part. no, fine, fine. I mean, you're more just telling us at the,
1: yeah, yeah. right now, yeah. And I just feel that there's not a sympathy because it's not a word that you can uh, attach to that crime. But I...
0: I feel like, I feel like you're interested in the... In the the Yeah, the psychology yeah. and the dysfunction of it. What's, yeah. the, what's the damage that's driven them to that? I think a lot of people find that. Yeah. It's like it's not like agreed, obviously not condoning it or anything, but the fact that, like, what? How do people get to that? What's because it's it's deep rooted, isn't it? So, something of that description in particular. Like, you could even say a murder could be completely ra- out of character and random. It can be. Some people do sort of, do that, but that the sex offender, the pedoph- pedophilic thing is so deep rooted.
1: You can't. I'm going to tell you something now. But we're. But we're should I, um, should, should yeah, turn that oh, off. I stop
0: this? Yeah. Well, well, before stop, you do, before you, you do, yeah, we've done yeah. those. There's just one question I'll, I'll ask for the for the recording at least. Um, how big were me dad's bollocks? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, two questions. How big were your dad's bollocks, and well, how big were Reggie's?
1: <laughs> well, I think with me dad's, I think if you go back in our generation, have you ever seen the back of an elephant? How their bollocks hang Well, I think there show might. I'm a funny video. There this. might be an elephant related to us. That was the length of me dad's bollocks. <laughs> And I've got them as I've got older, and they're sore. You can't catch them. And the other one was how big was Reg. Yeah. Well, I think Reg had, Reg had a 62-year-old uh, bollock that had, that had got longer over the years because <laughs> they seemed to sag. And I've, I can't remember exactly, but it was a bit pimply and grey hairs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: don't use that one. No, don't use it. That's hilarious. Um, the last question is, uh, are, you, are you a happy man now? Yeah, so I, I, I did, what did you determine
1: as happy? Is it momentary happiness? Uh, I could be happy right now. So right now I am. Am I happy about myself? Am I happy about my life? There's a, there's a quotation in the Bible, and it says, the joy of the Lord is my strength." So, um, and it's not about passing it off. Um, but I do believe that there's a spirit greater than myself that brings something to me. But I'm a lot better than I was last week. I'm a lot better than I was five years ago. I'm a lot better than I was 10 years ago. And do I have moments of clarity? Yeah. Do I have moments of peace? Yeah. Do I have moments of joy? Yeah. But I think happy is a, a word that um, is, I'm not sure what happy means, to be
0: honest with you. Well, yeah. I mean, I think some people think happy is this perfected, it's perfection of an internal peace or whatever it may be, but that's not it for me. What is, it,
1: what is it for you?
0: Well, I sometimes I think I might have asked this in another one of our sessions, but I often ask people what, what happiness is to you. I say, what is happiness or are you happy? Depending on how, how we phrase it or what's appropriate for the for the person. For me, it's definitely um being surrounded by the people I love in the best environment possible. Lovely, yes, lovely. Yeah, And, lovely. and, I, and that doesn't even have to be perfect. Not every ounce of it will be perfect. Great uh, or, or, but it's the environment of the people.
1: And I think you're absolutely right.
0: Brilliant. So, Mike, first of all, obviously, after all, we d- we, we've done all the different episodes, so thank you very much for doing it. we, we uh, really enjoy We it. really appreciate that, and I want to put that on camera, because uh, yeah, you know, I'm great. really, really happy you've sort of become part of the Babylonia story. Absolutely. So that's, I that's love great. you
1: guys. Two lovely men, Sammy Boy and Michael. I would like to say thank you very much. I'll tell you what I want to say, thank you. Um, one for Sam, for being such a gentleman, and, and you being so trustworthy and being My kind. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's been great, and I, you know, I pray to God that that you become the English Joe Rogan, and I want that on camera.
0: Okay. Well, that's
1: that's one of the missions, yeah. So. Bless you, humbly. Thank you, Mike. My no pleasure. Sir. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bless you. Bless you, sir. Well.